Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kilts and Culture. I'm Rocky. Eric. That's Eric. Yo. That's my tagline from now on. Yo. 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 Manly. It's Philadelphia. Deep baritone. Yo. Yo, Adrian. Um, Today, we have a little bit of a special treat, as we do every day. Um, Every day here at USA Kilts is a special treat. treat. Yeah, yeah. Of course. That's how we roll. Um, Today, we wanted to do something a little bit different. So, we know nothing about scotch, but that doesn't stop us from drinking a lot of scotch. Um, My favorite is Lagavulin. Eric, do you have a preference? Also Lagavulin, actually. Okay, fair enough. Um, So today, knowing little to nothing about scotch, we are not scholars, we do not know much, we just kind of know what we like. Right. We are going to do blind taste test. We're going to taste three scotches today. Lagavulin, Laphroaig 10-year, and McClellan's. (laughs) McClellan's is... A $25 bottle of scotch, an Isla scotch, so it's peaty, it's smoky. Laphroaig, 10-year, is about $50, $55, and uh, Lagavulin is about $90, give or take, depending on where you get it from. So, throwing these out of my way, making a lot of noise on purpose. <laughs> oh, Adam, um, so sorry. You're welcome, Adam. Um, <laughs> Those are microphones. So, yeah, now Adam's going to trip over them when he brings us the scotch. <laughs> my evil plan. Um, anyway, um, we're basically just trying to figure out, is there really a difference between cheap scotch and expensive shot scotch? Can the novices tell which is better or worse? Yeah, can the novices tell is the real thing. I mean, we're living in an age now where you've actually, there have been some cheap, cheap priced scotches, which have actually done really well. Like Aldi's supermarket yeah. has a, a scotch which retails for like 25 bucks. And apparently it's actually won awards. You know, it's actually been noted as a really good scotch. And it's like, everybody's like, what? Yeah. So this is our starting point for figuring out, you know, how, how can you take the journey of scotch, basically? How can you yeah. figure out what you're doing? Is it worth the money to buy better scotch? And unfortunately, we live in Pennsylvania where we have archaic blue laws. Yeah. So we can't buy the Aldi scotch to test it because that's what we actually wanted to do. Yeah. So. Next time. Exactly. That being said, Mr. Adam, if you would, please. Um, we are going to give you the bird's eye view. Eric and I do not know which scotches Adam is pouring here. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you can't see my face at this point. Um, the no, the um, uh, so Adam is going to fill up three bottles of scotch, and yeah, then we're going to do the blindfold thing when he's. I guess when he's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so fill them up and show show the audience which is one, which is two, and which is three. Mm-hmm. Noting, of course, the uh, highly specialized and, and very <coughs> aesthetic and also very effective uh, official Glencairn tasting glasses on the uh, beautiful, suitable for any home uh, flight trays. Mm-hmm. Right? Often loved. Yeah. Highly sought after. Quite, quite. Somebody posted on the, uh, the, the group like last week or week before a, uh, a photograph of their uh, dishwasher full of like 40 or 50... Glen Cairn glasses, um, you know, because he had just done a whiskey tasting at his house, and it was just like, wow, that's cool, that's awesome, that's that's the goal right there. Nice. Yeah, yeah, 
That's a we'll do that in a year. Right. We'll actually have a, a an official Agreed. whiskey tasting. Yeah. yeah. That's <coughs> All right. It's gonna be now. Leave them there for a second, and uh, bring the camera back to us. Now, of course, like any good Americans, we are overly matchy-matchy with our killed outfits. Yeah. So when we needed blindfolds, we need blindfolds to match our tartans. It, you wouldn't do anything else. Why would you do anything Why else? Why would you? Is there yeah. anything else? Well, I don't know, but... Uh, My God, we're nerds. <laughs> pocket square, tie. Yes, exactly. Killed hose. Yes, argyle hose. Yeah. So, to make this fair, and basically because uh, I know from drinking it that Lagavulin has a slightly darker color than the others. Yeah, um, there's so, a reason for doing a yes. literally blind test. Exactly. I regret that I have only one <coughs> life to give for my whiskey. Yes. I need a cigarette. Yes, but it has to be color-coded to match your tartan. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Adam, are you prepared to bring forth the scotch? Blindfolds are distracting. Um, you're gonna, yeah, I know, this is very awkward. Hmm. So, I am not gonna, gonna hand put out, us. I'm not gonna put my hand out until you say there's something for me to put my hand out for. I don't wanna mess this up. All right. Number one. Rocky, there's number one, Eric. Okay. Okay. All right. <coughs> All right, Eric. We're gonna nose first, right? Do this properly. Oh, damn it, it's Petey. I, I, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. I'm gonna embarrass myself and I know it. All right. Okay. Strong. It's very strong. Yeah. Got a little bit of a kick, a little bit of a bite. Um, I think I know. What do we want to do? We want to hold our guesses till the end, or do we want to say I while we're doing it? I think I'll lose track. Okay. Maybe we should. Uh, it's up to you. All right, Adam. Bring me number two. Oh, actually, should we? Well, I want to guess. I'd rather guess now. Guess now. Okay. What's your guess? I think it's the Lefroy. So do I. I think it's Lefroy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. It's definitely got a, it's very, very strong. It's the te, it's Lefroy's okay. tenure. I don't so know what I'm doing, yeah. It's a little bit stronger. Well, we want to drink our waters first to cleanse our palate a little bit. Good idea. Can I reach so my water those? with my blindfold on? Hey, I can. I did it. Okay. I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm surprised I didn't knock this over. There's no cap, okay. We're working on a spin-off series about Daredevil in uh, Glasgow. All right. <clears throat> Are you ready, Eric? Sure. Number two. Number two, Rocky, and number two coming for you, Eric. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Hmm. It's a lighter. Much lighter. Yeah, it's definitely lighter. <laughs> um, I don't think this is as hard as I thought it was gonna be. What, what do you, you think? What do you think this is? I think I. Oh, I'm gonna make the letter. Um, Of, or the first, yeah. You tell me, and I kind of signed it, kind of. Who, me? Oh, you want to speak? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's the McClellan's. So do I. Oh my god, because um, for for everybody watching at home, basically, yeah, there's there's not nearly as much nose. It's definitely not as peaty a nose, and it's burnier uh, yeah. on the front end and in the back and throat. Mm -hmm. I'll say this: I don't. It's not as bad as I was expecting. Yeah. It's still not bad. I can tell the difference. It's still... It's not great. It's not great, yeah. It almost has a slight, like, a, a vanilla-y tone to it. Yeah, I'll give it that. I'll give it that. It's, it's, it's burnier. Well, I don't know. It's, it's about as burny, I guess, as the, yeah. as the first one. I'm assuming that one was... Uh, it's not as smooth. The, the, yeah. the first one was, was actually nicely yeah. smooth, I think. I think it's going to give me heartburn. That's entirely possible. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to finish right. it. <laughs> All right, Adam. All right, and Eric will drink water to Thank cleanse his palate. Get my water. I don't know how good of a job. I don't know what you're supposed to cleanse your palate with, so water. Well, we should have crackers. Work. We should have, like, uh, <coughs> wine True. crackers. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be chewing on camera. Well, we chew all the time, but... Yeah. <laughs> Chewing up, chewing up scenery. Yes. All right. Number three. Up. Oh, yep. I will say this about uh, smelling smoky and peaty scotch. To me, at least, it brings my heart rate down. It brings my stress levels down. Like, if I've had a okay. rough day, okay. it's part of the experience for me of drinking, whether, you know, usually lagavulin, but part of the experience to me is just kind of sitting there smelling it, and I don't know if it's the anticipation of it, if it's just, it's something about it just brings my, like, I breathe slower, brings the stress levels down. That's a good question. I mean, it could, it, yeah, it's, it could be a, it could be a technical thing, like something about the, like it's aromatherapeutic kind of a way, and it's actually working on, on a technical level, or it could be right. that you've trained yourself psychologically to expect the relaxation and therefore it's yeah. a Pavlovian it's response. The, it's you know? just the it's the releasing of the stress. I've yeah. done that for the day. Now it's time to sit and Yeah, I wonder I wonder which one it is. Or a little bit of both maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Yep, that's logable. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see there. You see you Sorry. drinking that. Yeah, you drink enough of it. Um, um, I don't, I, I don't it's, drink... It's, the, it's my favorite of a... <laughs> you drink it every day. Yeah. <laughs> every um, time I have a lunch meeting with you. Um, <laughs> Breakfast meetings. No, it, we, we were unfairly biased to begin with. We admit that. Yeah. But I think... It's uh, a little bit sweeter. A little bit more... It's a little sweeter. Honey-ish kind of thing. I'm liking the Lafroig better than I thought I would. It's it's it's, it's a straight... Nice. Well, assuming that number one is Lafroig. Assuming that assuming we are correct. correct. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Since, since we've effectively made our guesses, I'm assuming we can take our blindfolds off now. But I'm so comfortable. Fair enough. The harsh studio lights and everything, I'm just like, I'm real nice chilling out here, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right, okay. Blindfold off. All right. When you can take the whiskey from my hand, it will be time for you to go. All right, Adam. Oh, wow, it's bright in here. Where we, yeah, now, <laughs> now I can't see anything. Oh, Whew. man. That was a dumb idea. Do I know the answers? Yes. No, because I was nervous. Lucas from You're Memphis. kidding. Lu I'm performing up here. <laughs> 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 we 
We don't know if we're right. I can't work under these conditions. Neither can I, apparently. So... Lucas? What is number one? We had Lefroig as number one. Okay. okay. What is number two? We're one for one. We had McClellan's as number two. Yes. Yep. Two for yep. two. Yep. Yep. That means yes. we have to be three for three. Yeah, so there we go. Absolutely. Sweet. Nice. McClellan's is actually darker than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, it is. It is. You can do it yeah, side by side. Yeah. That would have thrown me off. It's actually yeah. darker than Lagavulin. You know, do they get the, is, is that artificial coloring or something? No. I, so, uh, are they cheating? I don't know. I have no idea. I would, because I would expect people to assume that a darker color would mean a richer product, you know, for lack of a better yeah. term. So, in a way, I guess no, it's it's more of the, the the barrels that they're in right, um, will right, give right, it more right. of the color. Okay. okay. Um, McClellan's, uh, I think I said I could feel it like it would give me heartburn. There's certain scotches that kind of give yeah. me heartburn, and I kind of felt that. I could see maybe doing something <clears> with <throat> it, like a scotch and soda or something. You know what I mean? Or occasion, very occasionally there are. Um, some vintage cocktail recipes that call for whiskey. Um, they, they usually they mean like bourbon or something, but I could almost yeah. see using it for that. But but honestly, I wouldn't want to drink much of it. But it's not. It wasn't as bad as I thought. No, I was it, expecting it to be like really rock gutty. Yeah, kind of flavor. It wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah, that is a little bit lighter than I thought. Hmm. I hate to tell you this, but um, Lafroig. I might be a Lafroig convert. I might be changing. Now my, this is the ten. They have an 18, oh, yeah, okay. which is this, but a little toned down, a little smoother. Yeah. It's very similar to uh, Lagavulin. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot smoother. To, basically, the longer you, you age it, the smoother I'm really it liking the nose on the Laphroaig. Is is really lovely. Oh, yeah. It's, and if yeah. you have um, uh, uh, like a poor sense of smell, like Lance, um, something with a stronger scent, Mm -hmm. Like the Lefroy, like the uh, yeah Lefroy, and that could be. I sometimes do have sinus issues, so that could be. Yeah, you have a cold. Stuff. Yeah, so. so I might be reacting to it that way. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Just killed it. Um, cool. Did anybody have any comments or questions about uh, Scotch? Well, since you're drink here, you're gonna finish your lagavulin. Go ahead. Can't let it go to waste. Okay. All right. Indeed. Mm. Well, that was fun. Yeah. All right, show's over. I'm gonna go drink. <laughs> that was uh, <clears throat> no. It's so I think there is just you know kind of bring it back around. So there is something to the price. Yeah. It's you know you can definitely now we did them side by side by side, mm -hmm. so it's a little bit more obvious for us. Mm -hmm. But I think we could definitely tell cheaper, burnier type scotch from yeah. better yeah. quality scotch. But at the same time, um, McClellan was. If you started with that, I don't think you would be really horribly disappointed. No. You, if you like assume that, you know, just start with a cheap one and then as your money permits ramp up would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the fact that we've had better scotch before that going down then is much more noticeable. So it's a, yes. maybe, so there, there might be something Fair. to that. Fair. You know, that maybe if you're getting into this, I think the best way to get into this obviously would be to attend a tasting being hosted by yeah. somebody. We should do that at some doing. point. Yeah, we really should. Um, but barring that, I would start, you know, start, like we say with kilts, actually. You know, you start small, start with within your budget, and ramp up. Yeah. You know? And it's, remember. Now, that that being said, it's, if you're going to start drinking scotch, I wouldn't necessarily start with an Isla scotch. True. Because they're very True. smoky, very peaty. Yeah. It's overpowering. And if you don't like, like, the taste of a burned-down house mixed with mud, yeah. 
it's going to put you off on scotch entirely. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would say start with a you know a softer Highland scotch or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Cool. I agree. So yeah. there is there is something to the price thing. With I think scotch. there definitely is, and that's that's also a why. Uh, like I was saying, things like this Aldi one really stand out as as weird because they've somehow yeah. apparently made a really good scotch that they're selling at a really cheap price. Yeah. So uh, there's um, when I went to the store and I I, I knew that there there's a uh, a thing for scotch in Japan. Like the Japanese market yeah. for scotch is huge. Um, so there's a lot of uh, there's but there's becoming a shortage of scotches because it takes you know X number of years to. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. So there's a new influx of uh, Japanese scotches or whiskeys. Okay. So yeah. I saw a couple of them when I was at the uh, when I was at the state store, and I was just like, hmm, we should do a a, a Japanese scotch. Yeah. Tasting. Do, do round two. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily a yeah. taste test, but or a, a blind tasting, but a, a just but a taste just test a, of just, yeah, just something see, different. See, yeah. 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 Interesting. That and maybe sake. Um, that's, I can do sake if you want. No. But that's a whole different thing. Not at all. Fine. <laughs> I like sake. Now, talk to me about, you know, IPAs. We can test those. Cool. I guess we should actually get on with the actual show now. Uh, if we must. All right. So again, my, uh, loving mixture of, uh, scotch, then water, then mm -hmm. breath mint, and coffee. <laughs> so I'm just a... Smorgasbord of <laughs> deliciousness. Ugh. The things we do for you, our audience, to our mm -hmm. own bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, speaking of the audience. Yes. The, I want to give a uh, shout out, for lack of a better term, to the Kilson Culture Group over on Facebook. Um, if you guys are members of the group, awesome. If you're not, go check it out. Um, we put the call out. We didn't have a lot of preloaded questions for today's episode and we just kind of put a post up there saying hey guys we need help give us questions mm -hmm. and we got like, like 25 got, or 30 got, like good questions I got like three or four pages here and this isn't even all of them yeah so thank you so much yeah it's, thank it's you guys great a lot that you guys are, are interested in us <clears throat> in this stuff and um somebody asked us about you know what do you do if the questions are redundant and just real quick we're going to answer them anyway even if the question has been asked a hundred times before it might be old hat to you. It might be old hat to us. But whoever asked that question, they're, they they're don't know. interested. Yeah, they're interested. It might be their first time doing this. They might be new to this. And we're here to help. So every question is valid. Yeah. Um, if it's a real quick one, we will try and answer you immediately uh, in comments on the group, of course. But, um, yeah. No, every question is valid. Keep them coming. And thank you so much. And thanks in general to everybody in the group for making the group great. It's grown exponentially the growth rate on the group has been fantastic and yeah. it seems like we're really succeeding in having a nice big tent where everybody can talk civilly and have a good time and uh and, and we get so many different bits of culture and input and everything it's it's yeah. been awesome it's so. it's in part it's it's due to a few things the members and the mods basically um mm -hmm. the mods being able to keep the tone of the group civil and for the most part the members of the group policing themselves and really doing a good job with yeah. keeping, you know, keeping it nice and civil, non-political, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, obeying rule number one, don't be a jerk. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, we've done a, a pretty, I'm, I'm very proud of the group yeah, and how, how, how cool it is and how nice and inviting it is. It's been a great party. Yeah. 
Um, I have one challenge for you guys now. Uh, in advance, happy Tartan Day. It's coming up. Like, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I am really, really looking forward to seeing all the photographs of you guys in your outfits, out having your adventures for Tartan Day. So post photos of your stuff, post video if you can. If you're at a parade, if you're, you know, toasting the day with your buddies, definitely want to see that. Really looking forward to seeing that, because this is... To me, this is a bigger deal than St. Patrick's Day, and that's saying that's saying something. I know. Blasphemy, well, sir. I, I Blasphemy. Do, I do both. I do both. But for me personally, this is where I live. So Great. there you go. Okay. Cool. Maybe it's the whiskey talking. I don't know. But and uh, the last thing was we had uh, a couple of people um, asking us questions about what's going on here at the shop uh, about the this construction thing that we're doing. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. Quickly. The uh, construction is starting. Mm -hmm. um, they started jackhammering and knocking holes in the floor, kicking some holes in walls. Um, basically, we are uh, putting a second story on the building. So we are expanding the building from 6,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet. The store itself is going to, the retail area is actually going to grow a little bit. That's going to be effectively half of the downstairs area. Um, we're going to have a dedicated customer service area with, you know, computers and, you know, fancy phones with headsets. Um, the... Uh, <clears throat> the uh, shipping area and the warehouse area is going to expand in the back. We're taking the production upstairs to the second story. Um, we're getting some uh, a real boiler iron ironing system. It's you know, super high tech, crazy. Yes, industrial grade. Um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, think you know like what a, a dry cleaner would have kind of thing. Um, and then we're also putting our studio, which is here, over in that building, and putting it upstairs and really building out a pretty cool studio dedicated for just the purposes there yep. um, and our, our marketing department and computer guy are actually gonna have their own area on the second story we have to put in an elevator because that's we're, code. That's we're a that code awesome thing. now yeah. we're that awesome <laughs> that we need an elevator we're elevator worthy yes we have an um, elevated status you might say oh that's the scotch talk I'm blaming the whiskey yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah it's it's pretty exciting it's pretty cool um, the whole project's gonna take about three to four months mm -hmm. so uh, basically, there will be a few times in the next couple months where the store is physically closed. Um, when they rip the roof off, no one's allowed to be in the building for a week. So before you come out to the shop, give us a call. Make sure that we're open yeah. when you want to come out yep. or give us a call a couple days ahead of time and just so you can plan your, your trip kind of thing. Yep. And I am especially looking forward to uh, the studio space because one of the things that's going to allow us to do is have uh, guests on the show easily. Um, and, you know, we try and make this set and everything look nice, but um, this is kind of like shooting in somebody's front living room. It's a very compact space. Um, but we have occasionally wanted to get uh, friends of ours who are in bands on the show and, and have guests to talk about special topics, and we're going to be able to do that. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. We need a green screen so I can do, like, <laughs> an Under the Sea episode and pretend we're scuba diving or You're something? You're on no? your own. Okay. You're on your own with that Me one. and Captain Ron will wear our there scuba kilts. There you go. You have a scuba kilt? No. I thought Ron was the only one who no, had a scuba kilt. Ron is the only scuba okay. kilt in existence that okay. I know of. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Very so good. That. I think that's the housekeeping. Yeah. So if you guys have any other have any questions you want to ask us, load them in the comments. Um, Eric and I are going to start by reading some of the preloaded comments, and then we'll throw to Lucas, Can who do. will read us what you guys got. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with a simpler one. Um, C. Carol was asking us, what should I do if I get caught in the rain? And I now have a very wet, heavy kilt. Do I hang it? Do I lay it flat? Uh, he says you might hit it with a flamethrower, but that doesn't sound like it's such a good idea. 
Um, what's no. the best treatment if your kilt has gotten soaked, like at a festival? Um, if it's you know, at a festival and there's a torrential downpour and you get soaked, um, just lay it on the back of the no, lay it open on the back of the couch and allow it to dry. Um, yeah. Do not throw it in the uh, in the dryer. Mm -hmm. The heat and the agitation are what are going to make it shrink. Um, you don't see sheep out in nature, you know, shrinking when it gets wet. So you don't really have to worry about your wool getting wet. That being said, when you get home, just, you know, kind of lay it out, let it air dry, and you should be, then you're going to need to probably iron it at that point, but you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Yep. Simple. Right. Yep. Do you need another one? Sure. Okay. Okay. Cameron was asking us, have you personally, you, you know, either of us, uh, ever been corrected on something regarding Highland wear by someone who was wildly incorrect? And if so, how did you handle it when that happened? <clears throat> um, back when we first started the company, 2003-ish, uh, um, I had a, a gentleman come into the shop and he said, I want to get the County Donegal Tartan. And I said, sure, not a problem. Okay. Pulled out the book from House of Edgar. This one? Yep, that one. Okay, great. And he said, yes, that was my great-great-grandfather's tartan. He wore that tartan. That's why I want to wear the County Donegal tartan. And I explained to him that uh... the, the Irish County tartans, while they are beautiful, were only designed in 1995 by a lady named Polly Wittering for the House of Edgar. You know, here, you know here's the back of the swatch with the copyright date. And he kind of... No, my great grandfather wore this one. This is the one he wore, and it was it was more of a sales aha moment than anything. Mm. Where it's to a degree the customer's always right kind of situation. Where it's just like, okay, your great grandfather wore it. Great. Let me take your measurements and take your right, order. Right. It's, Moving you know, on. You just kind of have to just move past it. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we are in a weird position where. When someone tells us something that's incorrect, like patently incorrect, like verifiably date of copyright incorrect, we just kind of have to explain what the fact is to them. And if they don't want to accept that as truth or if they don't believe us, then we just kind of have to move past it so we don't get in kind of a confrontational situation. I think that's, I think it's, that's just not just being in, uh, in the business like we are, but I think that's just being gentlemanly. Anyway, fair, fair. I'm not going to, if somebody is sincerely seeking information from me and they want verification of what they think is true, or if they want to be corrected because they're trying <coughs> to learn more, that's one thing. But if this is something that they've got a lot of emotion tied up in it, it's not worth it to me to shatter their illusions. You, know, you got to choose your battles, I think is what I'm saying. Sometimes it is, if they're out spreading misinformation in a bad way, then I'll be more likely to correct them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, some guy's going around saying, oh, you always wear your pleats in the front. You know, then I'm going to want to correct them yeah. and drive that point home. But if it's just an innocent thing, yeah, I would gauge the innocence of it. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I'd gauge the innocence and the level of fact versus opinion. In right. my example, right. like, right. it's a copyright date that's literally 1995C with a circle around right. it. Right. Versus if someone says, you know, no, you don't leave the bottom button of your vest undone. That's ridiculous. You always button it down to the bottom. Yeah. It's yeah. where it's a convention, not necessarily a law or right. a verifiable right. fact. There's a bit of a gray area. And you have to decide if you're going to get into it with them or if you're just going to say, well, let's just agree to disagree. Yeah. You but know, sometimes you want to do that, sometimes you don't. Yeah. 
it's but when you're even when you're saying that, there's almost a level of I you're wrong and I just don't want to fight with you within okay. that. Um, yeah. but at the same time, yeah, it's politely kind of back out of it. Like, oh mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just you know Have a great day. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's just simple. I can't say I've ever had a personal experience where somebody has done me or done that to to me and correcting yeah. me on what I was wearing. Um, I've had similar, <clears throat> vaguely similar things to what you're talking about here at work, but in my personal life, I can't say I've ever had anybody come up and and say, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to do that. I've never yeah. had that happen. The, that's just probably luck of the draw at this point. But. I've had it in, I've had it happen here for where somebody is talking to somebody else, like father talking to his son and explaining how something is done, mm-hmm. and I will gently, gently nudge them like, well, it's actually this. Or if they're like, you know, oh, the ancient is the old, is the is the darker color schemes. Then I'll be like, no, actually it's the modern. Like, here, here's the example yeah. kind of thing. So I'll, I would politely do it. I wouldn't try to embarrass the person. Right, right, um, right. But if they, if they want to believe misinformation at some point, you just kind of, okay. Yeah, I think you're not, it, you're rarely going to win a convert or um, help somebody out by embarrassing. <clears throat> That's the other thing. Yes, I would yeah. agree with that 100%. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. Well, I think we shot that shot that horse pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> horse paste, as Kelly yes. would say. Horse paste. You've okay. beaten the horse okay. so much it's become paste. Should we That's do a it. yeah? You want to do an online question now? Sure. Lucas, do you have any? Sure. Uh, we have a question from Tyler, and he is asking, "What should you wear with a utility style kilt?" In what sense? Like the rest of your outfit? Or... Uh, nothing specified. Okay. Okay. Um. Rule of thumb is, uh, from in our estimation, a utility kilt, a cargo kilt, is basically casual wear. So you'd wear whatever you'd normally wear with, like, a pair of jeans or a pair of dockers or whatever. You know, it's basically that simple. Yeah. Um, it's a question of what context you're going to be in for that day. <coughs> yeah. Context. Context yeah. is king. Da-da-da-da-da. If only I had a graphic for that. We need to make it as a ping so it comes up behind us between us and the background. I could probably do that. Sweet. Okay. The, now you have to. But uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, um, and I'll jump ahead a little bit. I did have a question here. Because um, this kind I was of, thinking yeah. Uh, Joe Cox, this is actually the next one on my list. Um, he was asking, can you wear a utility kilt as part of a heritage outfit? Um, how can you dress a cargo kilt up? My sister is getting married, and I was considering wearing my black utility <coughs> kilt. Would it look okay with a tuck shirt and a tie? So that's, that was a, that's related to what this person yeah, is asking, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, to me, this is my opinion. The and I know Chris Gulick is out there about to, you know, freak out and throw a th- something at the computer screen. Um, I hope not. The um, a, to me, a utility kilt is fine. I don't mind utility kilts. I have some utility kilts. That being said, I would only really wear it like I would wear a pair of jeans or a pair of cargo shorts. The most I would dress it up would be like a sweater or that kind of level. Nothing that's approaches formal. It's so for to answer the first question, what would I wear with it? A pair of sneakers and crew socks, a pair of combat boots and a t-shirt. Um, the most I would probably do is like a golf shirt or a sweater with it to you know dress it up a little bit if you're going to go on a date or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen and I have no problem with using <laughs> a contemporary kilt. Let's you know expand it to try and include all of the. Utility kilts, you know, a contemporary kilt, let's say. So, like, with, 
like a 21st century tweed with right. the pockets on the front kind of thing. Yeah, but, but all, that's but, dressier. But yeah, it is dressier. But my point is, um, <clears throat> I've seen, and I think it's okay if you're going to wear that again, kind of like Dockers. I could see using one, assuming it's well pressed and you're wearing it well and you haven't been hiking and camping it, so it's all beat up and looks, you know, kind of wrinkly. Um, wearing it to the office, even with a polo shirt or with a, you know, with a shirt and tie and a sweater vest, kind of a hipster kind of a thing. I can see, I think utility kilts can work into a hipster kind of a casual or business casual yeah. aesthetic pretty well. Um, as Corp far as- Pie hat? Maybe. Fedora. I've seen guys, maybe. I've seen guys yeah. use, I've seen guys wear a pork pie or a stingy rim. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, um, that's the thing. It's kind of, it's a fashion thing. So if you're gonna be kind of fashion-y with it, yeah. um, you can do a lot. Uh, I will definitely, that's my choice, my choice of kilt a lot of time for like a metal show because you know it's basically then t-shirt and necklaces and and bracers and that kind of stuff and that's you know it's part of the, the general aesthetic of the event it's kind of kick-ass and and warrior aesthetic kind of a thing um bringing it into into city life into civilized society can be a little bit more difficult um i will argue that you could wear it almost like this guy was asking you could almost do it for something like a casual wedding if it's a type of kilt that a doesn't have multiple colors, and B doesn't have um, the cargo pockets. Like, I have a a mocker, a Utilicult brand yeah. mocker. You can get away with a fair amount with that because it has clean lines. The one of the reasons why a contemporary kilt doesn't work for dressing up, dressing up, really dressing up, is that it doesn't have very clean lines. The pockets tend to make it bulgy and a little awkward, and the way it hangs can be a little awkward. But something that's a hybrid like the mocker or a 21st century kilt, if the lines are cleaner, you could dress it up a little bit more. Um, is it going to be as nice looking as a traditional kilt? No, it's not gonna have as clean lines, it's not gonna be as form-fitted as a custom-tailored kilt. Um, that's the other problem with utility kilts is they're not custom-tailored to your body, so they're gonna fit you more boxily and more clumsily. Some are, not okay. not every all right, brand. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm painting with a broad brush there, <clears throat> maybe, but yeah. um, I would say you might be able to get away with it with some dressy but casual things, or if it's like a subculture kind of a theme thing, or a theme kind of a thing. Um, but you're certainly not gonna be able to wear one to a black tie or a white tie affair, you know? Yeah. Like I wouldn't wear one for St. Andrews, you know, or my lodge meeting or anything like that. Yeah. So. It's, it, yeah, I could see if it's, if you're going to a casual wedding, I could see it. Mm -hmm. If you are having a casual wedding, like a beach wedding or something like that, yeah. or in nature, I could, you know, see it that way it's, right. it depends on the person but that's not formal it's right. a casual wedding right so yeah i think i think the thing is when you're wearing it casually you just do whatever it's casual clothes you just don't worry about it just wear whatever you want if you're trying to wear it for an occasion you're going to have to be aware that you are pushing the boundaries and you're going to have to be creative you're going to have to be clever and you're going to really have to own it you know, if you have any question at all about whether anybody's going to think it looks odd and it's going to ruin anybody else's good time because they're looking at you and you're like, you're the oddball in the in the context of the event, then you may not want to do it. See what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I I would say this, <clears throat> if in that instance, um, if you're if there's other guys that are going to be in kilts, but you want to be in a utility kilt, but you're afraid you're going to be an odd man out, maybe adding a spore into it. Because it brings it in line with the less skirt-like aesthetic, yeah. more kilt-like aesthetic. Again, if it's one of the cleaner design ones with either the very subtle pockets yeah. or no yeah, pockets, yeah, that's what I'm talking then about. a sporn will look cool. Yeah, um, I do that with my mocker. Um, I will wear a sporn with my mocker, but I would not wear one with my survival kilt that has all the big, yeah. you know, 
industrial yeah. strength pockets on it. Yep. Okay. Cool. Next. Hey, horse paste? Horse paste. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully that helped. All right. Uh, ta -ta -ta -ta. Matt Spence is asking us, uh, what is the best cost-effective option for taller guys when it comes to kilt hose? He is uh, six foot five. Uh, when he folds his hose over, uh, such as to wear flashes, um, it optically makes his kilt look short. So he feels like there's a, it's it's making an optical illusion. There's too illusion much, with it. yeah. Yeah. Um, and a related second question, uh, what about dress shoes for guys who are as big as he is? He takes like a 15 wide and it's hard <coughs> to find uh, brogues that fit. So what do you modify in an outfit if you are a tall guy? The, the other end, yeah, the, the Kirk, extreme end of Kirk the scale. Kirk would probably have advice yeah. on this actually. Yeah. Um, the basically look for, and this isn't meant to be sound product heavy. Look for kilt hose that you fold down twice. Piper hose and our yeah. cotton hose, for instance, um, you actually fold them down twice. You cuff them over twice to give a little bit thicker uh, top to them. In that instance, it's easier to cheat it up or down a little bit because mm -hmm. you're actually folding it over twice. You just fold over the first one a little bit less. Or you choose not to fold it over twice. So you have the extra slack. On, on the Piper hose, I think the band, you get the popcorn top, right. and then I think there's actually a ribbed band at the very, very top. Oh, so that would look So odd. if you only fold it over once. It might look a little weird. Yeah, okay. and, and the popcorn section goes like that, like you know, okay. a good 12 or so inches. So you got lots to play with. Yeah, so you have to fold okay. it over twice, but it's a matter of just adjusting it a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the Piper hose or a pair of cotton hose, which we have that you fold, that you're supposed to fold over twice. Mm -hmm. um, for shoes, if you can't find 15 wides, then I would say just get a pair of wingtips. Yeah. It's, yeah. It'll be the closest look to a pair of Gilly Brogues. Um, they're still very traditional, um, right. but just get a pair of wingtips. Yeah. That would it's, be good. Uh, I've, I was discussing this with somebody online that basically Gilly Brogues are really cool. They're a lot of fun. They add a, a certain vertical dynamic to the, your look because of the way the laces come up. They just have add a little extra you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little added interest. Yes, yeah, a little je ne sais quoi. Uh, but they're a fairly modern invention. If you if you look at 19th century portraits of guys, they're not wearing gillybrogues. They're wearing regular Victorian walking shoes a lot of time. Dress buckle regular, brogues yeah. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, if they're being very traditional, then buckle <coughs> brogues. But um, but the uh, the gillybrogue as we know it is basically a romanticism. It is basically a modern shoe which is trying to make you think about the early medieval and uh, you know 17th, 18th century roots of Highland culture, back when they really didn't have roads and they really need to have the laces so that their shoes wouldn't get lost in the mud. And it's supposed to be, help you feel more in touch with your roots by putting on those laces. You know what I mean? It's, it's an emotional thing. It is not a requirement of Highland dress. So wear shoes that you're not gonna be in pain in so you can actually enjoy your event. I would draw the parallel then with that in mind, now it's actually a good insight. I would Thank draw you. the parallel that the fly plate serves the same purpose. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Where it is a modern invention, <clears throat> basically from the mills to sell a little bit of extra cloth. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it gives the you know the upper portion of the body something to wear mm -hmm. over the left shoulder yep. to you know harken back to the great kilt, yep. make you you know yep. feel more Braveheart esque. Yeah. Um, it's a very dashing. It's yes. Very dashing, but it yeah, serves yeah. no it serves no purpose other than an aesthetic. It's, so, yeah. Well, think. I'll even put this in the context of like military uniforms. There, you know, there's certain aesthetics that they're going after just because it looks good. Right. So it's the same kind of thing where you're just like, it just looks right. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a, like I said, it's a romanticism and it's emblematic. It's got, it, the, the, the piece of clothing has an emotional content to it. It makes you feel a certain way. Um, but yeah, it's uh, not as important as being able to stand on your feet through the entire wedding or the entire mass or the That's entire true. dance. Suffer so. for your art within reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool. Mr. Lucas, you have one. Yes. We have a question here regarding the tartans that you both are wearing and the tartan we forgot again. on the mannequin behind you. Sure. We always forget to introduce our tartans every every time. Bad. Yeah. Bad yeah. Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this is, uh, you've seen it before if you're a regular, this is the Alaska State Seal Tartan. Um, and I wore this because I had a matching uh, uh, blindfold today. So, yes. You know, I wanted to be all that. The, uh, uh, this is the Scott Green Weathered Tartan. This is actually the tartan that I wore for my wedding. It still fits me. The buckles have been adjusted, but they still fit. <laughs> Only a little <laughs> the, bit. Uh, uh, the, the mannequin behind us is actually wearing the American Heritage Tartan, an American Heritage necktie, and our gray Braemar jacket. That seems to get a lot of attention. Yeah. It's a very, very versatile jacket insofar as it's gray. It matches everything. If you are older dudes with graying hair, not that I'm pointing to anyone in particular, um, it goes really, really well with guys with graying beards or graying hair. Mm -hmm. Now, but but that's, I'm assuming you were talking <clears throat> about the, the kilt on that one. So yeah. yeah, American Heritage is actually our flash, our, our flagship tartan. Um, so you can get it in PV or wool. There you go. Um, unless you were talking about the Piper Mannequin. Oh, Piper Mannequin over there has on the Mackenzie tartan. Yep. Just Mackenzie Modern. Yep. Very good. Mr. Lucas. Uh, another question we had from Jared Reynolds, and he was asking, when did Tartan Day become part of American culture honoring Scottish heritage? I knew this and now I've forgotten. I want to I, say it was the 1980s. I do have some info up here. Yeah, because yeah, there are different stages of mm -hmm. how it came about. But yeah, yeah show me, Jared, yep, tell it, me what you got. It started up in Canada initially, and um, it looks like... They have a different one, yeah. Yeah, and it... They have April 4th. There's two. Di there are yeah. two different dates yeah. that, that get that get they're preferred for it. Yeah. What else have you got? Um, the other thing that was mentioned here was there was in New York City the Tunes of Glory Parade um, that was organized by Sean Connery and uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, that okay. trying to see where that took place. Um, <clears throat> no date on that one specifically. You know, but, I actually I actually have a, an article about this on the blog section of our website, and oh, I can't remember right, my right, details right. now. The yeah. reason it was April 6th was that's the Declaration of Arbroath. Right. Our, yes, so that's, correct. You know, which correct. is basically, that's the document that the uh, the independent, or the, uh, not Constitution, the... Uh, in, it's a group of Scottish lairds. No, no, no. What's what's the yeah. Amer the Declaration of Independence? Oh, the Declaration. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had a yeah. brain freeze there. Um, that's the, the, the document. It's, <laughs> it's the document that the Declaration of Independence was based on. Correct. Was the Declaration of Arbroath, mm -hmm. um, which is basically the Scots declaring independence from the English. Yep. So that's why April sixth was picked for Tartan Day. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but there were other, yeah, there were other iterations <clears throat> of the holiday in the United States um, prior to the 1980s, but it really got formalized fairly recently, actually. Um, and it's just grown ever since. Now it's uh, in New York City, it's actually Tartan Week. Um, there's a whole week's worth of festivities culminating in Tartan Day itself with the, with the big parade, yep. um, which is broadcast live and they do stream it. So if you're not going out tomorrow, 
enjoy staying home and watching the parade. Yeah, and they also have, I think, it's the Fashion Week as well, and they have the Dress to Kilt yep. event and all kinds yep. of stuff. Yeah, that's true. I guess the Dress to Kilt, <coughs> Dress to Kilt event is held nowish because it's Tartan Day coming and up to Tartan and it's Week. Fashion Week. Right. Yep. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, for the other details, which I apologize for not being able to remember off the top of my head, um, check out the blog that's on the website and uh, Chris was always Wikipedia. Yeah. But, very true. Yeah. All right, Mr. Eric, do another, another one. Sure. <clears throat> uh, simple one. Jacob New asked us, is it acceptable to use a clan cap badge as a kill pin? Um, yeah. The uh, kill pins, you know, basically are just a effectively a wind weight to help hold down the front apron. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not meant to go through all the layers. Over time, they've kind of become more either sword-shaped than the most common, you know, iteration of a kilt pin, right. but a long or tall and skinny versus circular or, or wide and fat kind fat. of thing. Yeah, Maybe guys Eric and I that, both have kilt pins on today. Yep. Um, the a cap badge is more, much more of a, a you know, circle round. round than it is a, a sword shape. That being said, there is some historical precedent, I'd say, mm -hmm. you know, Victorian times, there was, Absolutely. there was, a, you wore your kill pin a little bit higher on occasion. There wasn't a, a specific rule of it had to be exactly here, exactly you know, this far up from the bottom, this many inches in. It was just kind of a region on the front of the kilt, mm -hmm. roughly where the kilt pin would be. And there was more than just one shape. Um, mm -hmm. Today, it's kind of become, I won't say standardized, but it's the most common for it to be sword shaped Although you will still see people wearing, you know, circular pins or or horizontal pins a little bit yeah. on occasion. Occasionally, people will wear a uh, an oblong or you know long shape rectangle shaped kill pin, but cock at an angle, which I know you hate from an OCD standpoint. But that's one thing some people do. Um, people will sometimes use a memento of some other origin as a kilt pin. You know, like a, a piece of jewelry or something that they inherited or picked up somewhere and has personal meaning for them, and they'll use that as a kilt pin. Um, occasionally military guys will use some of their, uh, uniform parts, some of their, you know, some of their, uh, collar dogs, collar dogs yeah. and stuff. Or, uh, I just saw a guy on the group posted, uh, a casual kilt he got and he stitched, uh, a unit patch on his kilt where the kilt pin would go. So Fair. when it's casual wear, there's all kinds of stuff you can do anyway. Um, if you're going to do the cap badge, I would recommend, um, following what the Victorians and the Edwardians did with those round kilt pins and do wear it a little bit higher up. It'll probably look better if you wear it a little higher than the standard kill pin placement that people recommend now, which is usually what? It's like one inch in from the fringe and... About two inches or so in and right. about six inches or so up. Yeah. The Edwardians would... So it's, you know... It's almost like mid-thigh. 20% 20, 20 yeah. up from the bottom is about where you wear it yeah. now. Um, Edwardians would wear it almost at halfway, almost. Yeah. I wouldn't go necessarily that high, but I would go a little bit higher because I just think the round shape will look better higher up than just dangling at the bottom of a... Yeah. Close to the hem of the kilt. I'll but, that. Yeah, you can be, you can, it's personal expression. It's, uh, it's for your own enjoyment. Yeah, it's so. just jewelry for your kilt. You're just bedazzling the front apron. So don't actually bedazzle <laughs> your front gonna apron. Bad, somebody's no. going to bedazzle their kilt. Now. <clears throat> no. It's going to happen. I do not want to see a bedazzled kilt. That's... I do. If you bedazzle your kilt, I want to see the pictures. What not to do video, number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, should I do another one? Yeah, do you sure. another one, Lucas? Okay. Um... Louis Collingwood had a question for the upcoming show. If we haven't covered it before, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Um, do you think wearing of kilts as everyday wear, as an everyday outfit, is on the rise in the U.S., or is it on the rise in any other places? 
Um, I've seen some posts to the effect that Scotland, in Scotland, the kilt is worn more for formal events and not really as everyday wear. Is that true? Um, and uh, where, he wants to know, where do we think is the kilt most popular as casual wear? Okay. <clears throat> there's, a, uh, there's a saying that kilts are worn by Scottish people in America and Americans in Scotland. Um, it's not, it, Americans, when we want to get in touch with our roots and we want to go back to Scotland and we, we want to see, you know, where the, where the family came from and that kind of thing, you kind of, you know, get sucked into all that is Scottish and you want to wear a kilt when you're over there. Um, for the most part, Scottish people don't wear a kilt in daily life. In the Highlands, a little bit more so. Mm -hmm. um, you'd still be seen kind of as a little bit eccentric. Um, but they generally reserve it more for formal stuff. Um, the way I kind of will draw a parallel is when you're, you know, maybe when you graduate high school or get your first job or graduate college, your parents buy you a suit, um, buy you your first good suit. And then mm -hmm. in Scotland, their parents might buy them, you know, their first good kilt. Mm -hmm. uh, and yo, know, so that way you could get them through all the weddings that they're going to be attending of their friends right. and whatever in their mid twenties. Um, that being said, it's not done daily nearly as much or as much over there or anywhere for the most part. Mm. Um, is it, have we seen an uptick in it? Um, yes. I think so. We, I think we've seen an uptick in people wearing it either daily or once a weekish, or, you know, on, on weekends, weekends or wanting to wear it regularly. For me, it was always a matter of, well, you know, when I first got the kilt, well, my, my very first ones. I spent a lot of money on this stuff. I want to wear it more than just once a month or once a year. So I kind of forced myself to wear it. And then the more positive comments and positive reactions you get wearing the kilt, the more you're going to want to wear it because it's, you know, the positive feedback loop. Right. Yeah. Um, would you agree with that? Or? I totally, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and yeah, if you if you spend the money on it, then heck, use it. Enjoy it. Don't leave it in the closet. Um, I think there's absolutely been an increase in popularity um, that we've seen just in the evolution of this business. You know, as we've, yeah. the reason we've been able to grow as a company is because you guys out there are wearing kilts. <clears throat> it's definitely more popular. Um, there's been a, a, a kind of a leapfrogging and dovetailing with the utility kilt market. And there's been a, um, I think the more busy and hectic and technical society has gotten over the past, you know, couple of decades, the more people have wanted something that was heritage based. Yeah. You know, they want to get that naturalistic thing into their life. They want to get that sense of individualism in their life because of the daily grind. Um, it's absolutely more popular. Um, I really can't, in, in answer to the other question, I can't think of any place in the world that is more popular than the U.S. Um, and in the U.S. is probably no popular, no more popular than in Spring City, Pennsylvania. Mecca. This is the Mecca of kilts. Mecca. This right is world here, headquarters right here. for American kilt wearing. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> we um, have more kilt wearers as a density in mm -hmm. this square hundred yards <laughs> than anywhere else in the U.S. Hundred yards. <laughs> that's like if you can on buy... a daily basis. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's kind of like if you could buy like a, a square meter of land in Scotland, you can be a Scottish laird. Yeah. Is it like that? Nah. Yeah. Um, no, seriously though, um, I think kilts are, are hugely popular here because the diaspora has more passion. Um, and honestly, um, in the UK, I'll, I'd be speaking out of turn if I said this is true in Scotland, but I know that in London, they are incredibly fashion conscious and they are very conscious of trends. 
And to a large extent, that means that they will not always stick with a very traditional dress Slant, kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, s bespoke suits or something else. But um, you, you see what I mean? They, they, they really like to follow fashion in the cities. So I think that it is either a bluffo traditionalist or a, an eccentric um, who really wants to wear kilts all the time in Scotland. Um, but guys do. I mean, they, there are people out there who do love them that much. And occasionally, um, besides the weddings and stuff, we do see, you know, guys like to wear kilts to uh, football games and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing in Scotland. It would be, you know, yeah. rugby matches, football games. Um, Group activities, team activities. Yeah. They'll, they'll pull them Yeah, out when you want to show solidarity with a movement or a team or whatever, you know, that's a good time to wear it as a uniform. Yeah. <clears throat> the I'll, I'll say this. Um... The I think that I would I would guess I would harbor a guess that the utility kilts and utility kilts um, being a bit more popular with different demographics than those of Scottish heritage will be a gateway drug, if you will, yeah. into wearing kilts. So yeah. somebody might say, you know, hey, I see you wearing a utility kilt. That's awesome. I want to get one. And then they get that one, maybe a second one, and then they go. They get into it, and the more they get into it, the more they say, this is kind of cool. Now I want to look at this Scottish stuff as well. And, yeah, fair enough. That's what happened to me. Yep. So, yeah, I think that's a it's a neat end around to bring people into yeah. the fold, we as have, it were. We have a huge advantage in this country that we, we look forward and backward at the same time. Yes. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think, I think that hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. But uh, they're absolutely getting more popular. Yeah. The only place I would say that it's probably reasonably popular um, due to them just being badass is in Seattle um, because of utility right. kilts. Um, it's a little bit of a, a, a different type of culture out there. Um, it's a little bit more open yeah. and fun and you know, accepting of different types of things, artisty kind of vibe. Yeah. So I would say in Seattle, in like Portland. Sa Seattle and be, Portland. Yeah. yeah, it would be more popular out there on a, you know, you'd have a better chance probably there, outside of Spring City. You'd have a better <laughs> chance, or the Wawa across the street from us. You'd have a better chance in Portland or Seattle walking down the street and seeing a guy in a kilt than you yeah. would almost anywhere else in the U.S. And then I would say actually around, not to toot our own horn, but around here, around the Philadelphia area, I think there's more because people come here physically. Yeah. They come to the actual store, you know. So there's that. There, there's there's always going to be, if there's a brick-and-mortar store that's successful, yeah. There'll be more of a, a ripple effect in that community. And I would say Boston. I think there's probably a fair number of guys in Boston. Yeah. Because of the music scene, especially. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going to the actual, if I was walking down the street on a Tuesday afternoon okay. in any given town, where would I see a kilt? Gotcha, gotcha. So that's okay. kind of where my mind was going to for, for that question from that gen. Cool, okay. Yeah. Cool. Mr. Lucas. All right. A question from Dylan. And he is asking, how do you size correctly for a sporin chain or strap? Is there a way to measure to know it will sit at the right place? Um, it depends on the company you're ordering from. If you're ordering from us, I would say take your waist measurement and take it a little bit loosely. And yeah. we're going to give you one that's going to fit a little bit more than what you're giving us. So if you're a you know 35-inch waist, we would give you a medium chain, which will go up to about 40. Mm -hmm. um, so you want the sporin chain... Think about it this way. When you're wearing a sporin chain, it's actually, it's not sitting, you know, around you like a belt. It's tilted down in the front, and then the sporin hangs from the sporin chain. So you want to make sure wherever you order it from, ask that company 
how do you guys size for your sporn chains? I wear a 30, you know, 34 inch pants. My actual waist measurement is 35 and a half. And if I measure down at an angle where I would want the sporn to hang to, and you know, up to your lower back, you get this, you know, diagonal circumference right. through your body. And that comes out to 38, whatever. Um, and give them those measurements and see what they send to you. Would you be better off giving a hip measurement or is that too much? I think it's too much because it's okay. not going around the widest part of your rear end. Okay. Um, okay. That being said, I'll, I'll dovetail it with a different question. What happens if you get a sporn chain and it's too long? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. So, mm, mm. Mm. Uh. the a couple easy things to do for that are on the back of your sporn, most sporns, have a little leather, uh, effectively, pass-through that the, there's a set of D-rings on either side of this leather pass-through. If you just take the D-rings and little leather strip out, those span about two inches, two and a half inches. So take those out, toss it in the sporn, toss it in your closet, whatever, and just put the sporn chains. The sporn chain has little connectors, you know, like, you know, you know dog, clips. dog clip kind of things. Yeah. Connect those two together. That'll take two inches out of the sporn chain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Option B is um, take the end with the strap on it, get a block of wood and a drill, lay it on there and just drill another hole or two. Or if you have a leather punch, you know, punch out a yep. couple more holes in it to give you a little bit more room. If neither of those work and you're in for some minor surgery, um, take either a bolt cutters or something or a, I wouldn't say a hacksaw, that'd be kind of awkward, but yeah. a bolt cutters and cut a few links out of the chain or move the dog, you know, the, the little clip thing on the end back two links in the chain. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's an Eva, there's a simpler option is uh, try a sporn strap instead. It's leather all the way around. You don't have to deal with the metal or anything like that. You just, you can trim it. If it turns out it's too long, you can trim the tail off the end. You can drill the holes wherever you want. Um, it's more customizable. So that's, if you're, if you're concerned about it, then uh, maybe try the strap instead. Some people prefer them from a comfort standpoint also. So it's, uh, I like the look of the chain. Um, I would argue that the strap is a more practical option, um, but I wear chains because I kind of like the look of the chain. So but there you go. Yeah. There's more than one way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other one? Sure. Uh, we have a question from Mark asking about vests. Okay. And he's saying that where he lives, he can't really find any kilt length vests. Is it hmm. appropriate to convert a Saxon vest into a kilt length vest? Points for using the word Saxon. <clears throat> the, I would say that, um, depends on how long the vest is. It's, <clears throat> it's really a case by case basis. Some vests are cut a little bit shorter for fashion reasons. Others are cut a little bit longer. Um, if the vest you're looking at comes in a short, regular, or long size, if you are a regular, then get a short and wear that with your vest. Um, if you're looking for a vest to do double duty, meaning you wanna wear it with pants as well as wear it with a kilt, then I'd say get it a little bit shorter so that basically you don't want it to be covering the top of your sporn. That's the problem yeah. with most Saxon wear. It, look, it looks awkward. Yeah, whether it's a jacket or whether it's a vest, when it covers the sporin, it's it just looks ill-fitting. I think he's aware of that. I think he's wondering, um, can you surgically alter a Saxon <coughs> vest to fit? And my answer would be, you if you proceed with caution, maybe, but you could run into the same problem that you do if you're trying to convert a jacket, which is that the placement of the pockets 
you can't change. So you could wind up with a vest where your pocket slit is like only a couple of inches from the bottom hem and it's gonna look goofy. Um, now if you have a vest that has no pockets on it, you have more room to move, more latitude with that. Um, it may be that uh, a minor alteration like uh, a, you know, with the points on the front of the vest, just folding them up so you have more of a straight across uh, flat front on the vest might take care of it for you. Um, but if a vest is a little long, it is more forgivable than it is with a jacket. So um, I like to shop thrift stores and I've occasionally found vests that way and sweater vests, of course, um, where they're a little bit long, but I can get away with it. And if I want to play with them and experiment with them, it might cost me a couple bucks. So yeah. I would say um, experiment with something cheap if you're going to do it. But um, as far as altering the shape of the vest, watch out to make sure the pockets or the pocket slits don't look stupid when yeah. you're done. Yeah, good good point on the uh, checking first. It's it may even be worth it if you're going to do it you know, on a couple of them or or on a good expensive one. Which I don't know why you would do that if it's expensive. Just buy you would one, just buy a just good buy a, one. Just yeah. buy a kilt vest at but that point. Buy a couple vests that would reasonably fit you if they're cut down, and then take the one you like the least and just straight chop or find one that's hideous that costs a dollar at a thrift shop, right? And just right. cut it, and don't worry about hemming it. Just cut it and test fit it with yourself, and then use that as the pattern for the other ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly, make a template. Yeah. Do a, do a beta test. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that helps. Yeah. yeah. Should I do one? Sure. Okay. Um, I actually have two here which are kind of linked. So, uh, Richard Essam, or Essam, hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, said, what is a good option, or what are good options for smart day wear for the hot summer months. Um, he's looking at something that is more or less the equivalent <coughs> of wearing a tweed jacket and or a vest in the colder months. Is there such a thing as a linen kilt jacket? And this is very similar to uh, Doug Draper asked us, um, what can we suggest in terms of uh, uh, what's it like wearing a wool kilt in hot weather? He's in Texas and he's saying, we probably can't relate, but uh, Texas summers are incredibly hot and humid. How do you deal with a wool kilt in that weather? So from the kilt to the jacket layers, we're assuming you're not dressing in just a t-shirt. You want to look nice. You know, what do you do if it's hot? Um, Perennial question, actually, guys. Get this asked a lot. The, yeah, we get this asked a lot. Um, my, my brain went to a, you know, it, ultimately, you're wearing wool in the summer, or you're wearing a long sleeve jacket with shirt or whatever in the summer. It's similar to the, do you wear a hat you know, how do I stay cool while wearing a hat in the summer? Outside of, you know, making a, an air conditioner a backpack and strapping a tube up your kilt, there's not a lot you can do to stay cool while wearing multiple layers in the summer. Um, mm -hmm. The Even if you're wearing a linen jacket, you're still wearing long sleeves. It's still trapping the heat. There's still a layer inside the jacket of lining, which is probably gonna be taffeta or you know, satin or something. It's going to not breathe real great. So there aren't a huge number of things you can do. And my, my, my brain, by the way, is going to outdoors at a festival. Right, or right. Or somewhere outside right. in the summer. Right. Um, if you're inside, then it wouldn't matter as much because hopefully you have air conditioning. But outside, Maybe. there's, Outside of wearing, you know, less clothing, you're going to be hot. If you were wearing a, a seersucker jacket with a pair of pants outside in August in Texas, 
you're going to be hot. Whether you know, it doesn't matter, you're you're fighting against physical nature. Um, so ultimately, there's a little bit of a you're going to have to suffer for your art kind of thing, or you dress for the occasion, or you or you dress for the climate, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, the wearing a kilt to address the second question: wearing a kilt outdoors in the summer in Texas. Believe it or not, Pennsylvania summers get real hot as well and very, very muggy. Very humid. So, yep. yeah, we get very humid as well. Swampy. Yes. That gave me a visual. Um, <laughs> the So it's... It, the wool breathes. And, again, no matter what you're wearing, whether it's a pair of, you know, cotton shorts or a pair of pants or whatever, you're still going to be hot if you're outside in the summer. The The... The things that dictate your your body heat most are what are you wearing on your head and what do you have up top. So, forego the jacket um, for the second gent, and if you're wearing a uh, a golf polo or some kind of t-shirt or something like that, that's lighter, that's breathable, that's you know allows it to breathe, and you're not wearing anything on your head, or you're wearing a a mesh cap or a breathing a breathable cap on your head. Then that is going to keep your body temperature down more than a you know a black Balmoral or Glengarry that's you know thick wool that's going yeah. to not allow your head to breathe at all. Yeah. So at that point, it almost doesn't matter nearly as much whether you're wearing a polyviscose kilt, an acrylic kilt, or a wool kilt. It won't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a little bit of difference between? A 16-ounce wool 8-yard kilt and a 5-yard 13-ounce wool kilt or a, or a casual PV kilt? A little bit. But if you're outdoors in August and it's 90-plus degrees, you're going to sweat no matter what. So I'm, I'm very temperature sensitive. Um, so for me, the difference between the weights of the kilts does make a difference. I would say some a 5-yard wool kilt can be nicer. Um, you know, and, and you're kind of dealing in subtleties here to try and give yourself the advantage you can if you're very temperature sensitive, you know, either if you're a big guy or, or what. Um, so maybe a five-yard kilt would be a good option. Maybe PV would be an acceptable option. We have a lot of people, we do sell a lot of them to people in the Southwest and California because of that. Um, I think the jacket, you're kind of out of luck. Now, referencing the earlier question about vests, you can do a vest, I think, in a worsted wool um, that will be a bit more comfortable and look nice. Um, make sure you have a good a linen dress shirt or linen blend yeah. dress shirt for the for the for the, the nice nice look that nice daywear look. Um, go with a, a vest that's a worsted wool, but perhaps a lighter color, you know, like a like a oh yeah, you know, a tan or something instead of the black. Um, you know, don't don't use your argyle vest that came with your argyle set. Um, I kind of dig the idea of a, of linen kilt wear, linen jackets and vests for kilting, but linen has its own problems. It wrinkles real easy, and it's not. It's it's. I don't like linen in that sense. Um, so yeah, I, it will show sweat. It'll show a lot. sweat. Yeah. Yeah. So, you have a comment, Adam? I was just gonna add on the lines of. Uh shirts and stuff I found last summer I was looking for something to kind of dress it up a little bit while I was sure. here doing stuff uh, and I found uh, X marks the, there, somebody there was recommended to a number of the guys Tattersalls and there are some nice short sleeve Tattersalls yes. that you can wear with a vest yes. you know like you said don't do black but you can throw on a Tattersall with a vest and look pretty good and stay yeah. you know, reasonably comfortable yeah. yeah and I think lacking layers does not mean you have to look shabby 
Um, clothing sure. has adapted. We're, we're emulating clothing that comes from a cooler climate. And, uh, and frankly, Anglos have been doing this for hundreds of years, you know, trying to bring European clothing into other environments where it really wasn't ideal. Um, look at, um, you know, look, look at what uh, guys wear in the South wear for business wear. Look at the classic IBM short sleeve dress shirt, you know, you know, that's white. They wear that because it's cooler and more comfortable. Look at Bermuda shorts for crying out loud. You're wearing a business suit, but with shorts because you're in Bermuda, you're in the Caribbean. Um, so in some ways, you kind of have to adapt. A good looking Tattersall shirt and nothing else, no other layers, you can still look pretty sharp. You don't have to have the layers to look nice. Um, that said, I'm going to research a seersucker fabric kilt and matching outfit. And, with, and, with a Hawaiian print shirt. Well, the tie is going to be Hawaiian print. That's not enough. Okay. <laughs> well, we can, we, can, we can hash that out later. The tie can also be Hawaiian print, a different toning Hawaiian print on a true. Hawaiian print shirt. True, true. I, I have to make sure that it's my clan's Hawaiian print, though. Ah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair I'm enough. I have to yes. research the official Stuart pineapple print before I go any further. Yes. But we're joking around. But basically, yeah, ex as we always say, experiment with it. Use use a good undershirt. Use your use uh, your body glide. You know, and uh, and perhaps a lighter kilt. Um, one other tip I will say: um, if your outfit and your aesthetic will permit it, you might want to consider avoiding the kilt belt in hot weather because where you're going to build up heat in a kilt when you're wearing it is the midsection. This is where yeah. you're going to feel it, not yeah. down below because you're ventilated. Um, up here you might feel it, so the leather of the belt is an added layer of insulation that you may not want. Fair yeah. enough to say? Yeah. Yeah. And with that being said, aloha. <laughs> 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 right. Next one. And, and mahalo, which yes. is thank you. Thank you for the question. You have a question here, Lucas? We have a question. Okay. <laughs> we are going off. We're, we're really going off. They have a lot off. of questions about we're, us we're, now. What are you I, drinking? The, the oh, whiskey is making me All babble. the questions just flooded in. Okay. <laughs> um, Mike is asking where he can get his kilts cleaned and pressed. Does he go to a regular dry cleaners? Is there any questions he can ask the dry cleaners to see if they know how to do it right? Um, Good questions. Ask them, have you ever dry cleaned a kilt before? Mm -hmm. Um I would say take, uh, test out the dry cleaner, take a less expensive garment, uh, check out their Google reviews, check out their uh, Facebook reviews, yeah, those kind them. of things. Vet them. Look at your dry cleaner. Yeah. Um, another thing I've suggested before, women's clothing is, women generally have more dry cleanable type clothing than guys do. So ask women you know in your area, hey, where's a good dry cleaner? because they'll know, you know, oh no, this guy ruined my sequin gown, I will never go to him, um, or those kind of things, and they'll give you a little bit of insight, hopefully, into a, a good dry cleaner. Right, make sure that they're doing the dry cleaning on site, if at all possible, as opposed to farming it out to uh, a large complex and there's just having a retail storefront. Um, and uh, pressing, you wanna address pressing? Yeah, uh, just to touch on your thing, which you sure. just brought up. Okay. Um, the dry cleaner business model, there's a couple business models for dry cleaners. They can either have a big facility where they have huge drums and own all the chemicals and do everything themselves, or, and you know, have their own storefront kind of thing. Option two is they have just a smaller room where they just, you know, store garments and have pressing equipment and that kind of thing, and they just take in the garments. They will mark the garments if there's anything that needs to be specially paid attention to, and then pass those off to another company, and then basically pay someone else to do 
the cleaning work and bring it back into themselves. Yeah. So don't use one of those type of dry cleaners if you can help it. You want to be able to speak directly to the person who's actually going to be cleaning the kilt. Right. Um, what was your other question? Pressing. Pressing. Um, when you take a kilt to a dry cleaner, you generally don't want them to press it. When when we press kilts here in the shop, we are very, very, very exacting. Either you have to steek the, you know, the kilt multiple times across the back, or excuse me, baste the kilt across the back multiple times, and then use a big clamshell press, or the way we do it is we actually line up each individual pleat, and we, you know, we tweak it literally by the millimeter as we're going down each pleat, and we're yeah. pressing each individual one. Yep. If you are off on your pleats by a little bit, by, you know, a half inch, it's going to be very noticeable yeah. in the back of the kilt. Yeah. So when you take your kilt to a dry cleaner, two reasons to do this. One, it's difficult to do it right, and they're in the business of getting things done as quickly as possible, and they're not gonna pay the same level of attention to the kilt that we would here, or that you would probably want paid to the kilt. And number two, what did I have for number two? I completely, oh, it's more expensive. If you pay mm -hmm. them to press the pleats, it's gonna cost you more money. Um, back when we were uh, dry cleaning kilts on a regular basis when we did rental, it was like 350 to clean the kilt and like 650 to clean and press the kilt. It, it was yeah. like a, a good delta between the two. Yeah. So if you don't have them press the kilt, just clean it. It will, A, it will come back 90 to 95% as good as it is, you know, pleats crisp in the back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and B, it's going to cost you less. Um, at some point, we're going to do a full-length video on uh, how to press your kilt at home. Uh, that's one of those projects that we want to do once we have the new studio up, studio up, and we have the technical ability to make it look really easy to follow and good. Um, I'll bear in mind that a 100% wool kilt is not going to retain odors or even dirt the same way other fabrics will. If you have an acrylic blend or a polyviscose kilt or something like that, it will need washing more often. But there are guys who only wear their kilts on occasion, and when they're not wearing it, they're hanging it nicely in a closet, and it's getting airflow, and it's you know not in danger of cat hair or any of that kind of stuff, and you don't really need to wash it that often. Um, this sounds weird from a hyper-hygienic culture like we live in, but um, as long as you don't have major stains on it, or you've had some sort of horrible accident in your kilt, I don't know why And I you're said, wearing underwear. And you're, yeah, and you're wearing underwear, your kilt will actually survive for a long time before you need to wash it. Um, that's the beauty of wool. It's the beauty of 100% wool. It is really an incredible fiber. Um, so, as long as you're taking yeah, care of it. As long as you're taking care of it. And yeah. when you, and here's a little tip for that, is when, let's say you go out um, to, you know, to some ball, some dinner, whatever, you get home, you've only worn your kilt for about four hours, but you've danced a little bit, cut a bit of a rug. Um, at the end of the night, lay your kilt open right. and let it dry for at least overnight, if not a full day. Yeah. That way, any uh, uh, you know moisture, any dampness in the kilt has a chance to evaporate. Yep. You never want to put your kilt away wet. Yeah, like a horse. Yeah. Yep, just like a horse. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Damn yeah. wet horses. But seriously, yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah, always vet the dry cleaner and don't, and yeah. press it at home. Yep. Okay, cool. Lucas? Another question. Uh, this was from very early on when you guys were chatting about Tartan Day. We're blowing about Tartan Day. Yeah, I wanted to circle back to it. Um, gentleman is saying he doesn't have his kilt ready yet. 
Um, but he has some some other stuff to go with this kilt. What should he do to dress for Tartan Day? Any suggestions that you guys would have? <laughs> it reminded me the uh, uh, back when DVDs first came out. I actually bought a DVD before I bought my first DVD player. So I was just, <laughs> okay. I was really excited about this movie, and I'm like, oh, I, now I need to get a DVD player. Wow. Um, the uh, uh, for Tartan Day, I'd say necktie, Scottish you know, tartan necktie. Um, pocket square, something to that effect would be, you know, reasonably inexpensive and allow you to do something quickly. Yeah, I don't know what kind of stuff um, you already have. Uh, to the, going to the nature of the question, if you had, if you bought like a kilt pin, you can wear a kilt pin on the lapel of a suit jacket. Um, if you have, uh, you know, a bit of tartan, you know, you could do, uh, like like Rocky said, like the pocket square, or invest for thirty bucks in a tartan necktie, um, a suit is the nicest way to go. Um, I would not recommend wearing a sash. I would not recommend trying to wear your kilt hose on the outside of your trousers or, you know, anything like that. Um, Plus fours? No, that would be the exception. <laughs> but um, most kilt accessories are really meant to be worn with a kilt. Yeah. Um, the jewelry is the exception. A Glengarry or a Balmoral, preferably with a cap badge if you want to show off your clan loyalty. Those are great. You can totally wear that with a suit uh, or even a polo shirt or whatever. Um, just go with the go with the simple jewelry stuff is what I would say, and and not worry about the rest. Or if you know. you're at a scotch tasting, tartan blindfold. <laughs> underrated, underrated accessory. Yes, that's true. That's true. The tartan blindfold. They're getting more popular though. I saw. A video, well, they yeah. they have to match the kilt. Yes, in America they do. <laughs> I think there's. It's fine to have a tartan uh, kilt and a tweed blindfold. <laughs> if you're taking a Scottish perspective. Of but, course. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Should I do one more? Sure. All right. Uh, Kevin Thompson. Who's that? Um, What's up, KT? Yo. Uh, he said, he asked us if we could talk about the differences and difficulties of making kilts on a bias versus normal pleating. Sure. You might want to explain yeah. bias versus not bias. <clears throat> yeah. Um, when you sew something on the bias, it means diagonal. So basically what uh, he's referring to is taking a kilt, instead of the part, uh, the warp and weft being horizontal and vertical, it would be kind of a, a cross, crisscross X type pattern. Um, oftentimes you'll see a, uh, a, a tartan vest done on the bias worn with a kilt. It's a very smart look. Um, the, I've actually done a kilt for myself on the bias just to see what would happen. Uh, it was one of those, like, in my brain, I just had to see it exist. Um, mm -hmm. So I, it's, it, was an it was an abomination to the <laughs> Lord our God. It was horrible. Um, I would not do it again. The, uh, okay. the, the thing that I actually ran into immediately, I did this um, probably 10 or 12 years ago. It's before so I met you. It's, I don't, yeah, it's been I don't a, remember ever Yeah, it's been a it. long time. Okay. It was PV fabric. It was the Sutherland Tartan. The two problems I had as a kilt maker, the two problems I had doing it were number one, when you cut on the bias, you know, when you cut a regular kilt out, you're just going straight along. So you have eight yards, single width, right there. When you cut on the bias, you have to cut across the bolt of material mm. and you don't get nearly as much, many chunks out of it. You have as a lot were. of wastage. So yeah. A, there's a lot of wastage. Well, no, you can you can do it you know across multiple times. So there's okay. a little bit of wastage, but you're, well, there is some because then you have to square it off at the ends. 
and then you have to splice it a bunch of times. The kilt will have to be hemmed. Mm -hmm. And the thing I didn't think of, uh, which my wife, who had been sewing much longer than I had, um, who told me it was a bad idea and I didn't believe her, um, <laughs> uh, what she pointed out to me was, yeah, it's fabric stretches on the bias. Yes. So when I went to sew the cloth, you, basically when you're sewing a kilt, you have to hold the fabric taut because you're sewing multiple layers together and you want everything to match up perfectly. So when I was trying to sew it, you're holding it taut and you kind of tug back and make sure all the layers go underneath the, the pressing foot and the needle at the same speed. Um, it was stretching. Dude. So yeah, it was kind okay. of, it got a little bit bacony, you know, a little bit wavy going in, depending huh. on how hard I was pulling on it. Huh. Um, I finally got to a comfort level with it where I was feeding it in reasonably slowly so that didn't happen. The problem was when I took it out and went, oh, so how does it stretch? And I popped a bunch of the stitches because I pulled more on the more. stitches top and bottom because the fabric stretched, but the stitches didn't. So okay. it was a learning curve. It was just something I did just to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I got it done and then, did I get the whole thing done? I either got the whole thing done and threw it out, or I got it two-thirds the way done and threw it out. It was an abomination. It, mm. it should never see the light of day. I've seen pictures of them, though. They do exist. Yes, they do. I think it's it's a hipster, what can we get the young guys to try that's new because they're not as interested in traditional kilts. Now, I, I mean, that's mostly, that's in the UK. Again, like I said, they're very trend conscious, but... Um, so if you took a kilt that was sewn and made on the bias uh -huh. and wore the kilt pin at a 45 degree angle. It makes perfect sense. It's now straight. Makes perfect sense. I'm not sure if I would, like I would hate and then unhate it because it kind of came back all the way around or if I would doubly hate it. I think I would doubly hate it. I think it. you would, knowing you, yes. you would doubly hate it. Yes. Um, and you wear the sporn off to the side, you know? Do you walk on an angle like you need your V8? That's, that helps, yes. that helps. Yeah, yeah. It's good for in a stadium environment because you're walking in the bleachers, you know, you have one foot on one. You walk along the curb? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> some things should not exist. Kill it with fire. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet you'll wind up seeing a little bit more of it, KT, um, as a fashion trend. But like yeah. other fashion trends we've seen over the years, it's not going to last. Yeah, it's just it's, a little too out there. It's, it's you know, out there. It's, everybody. And it's too difficult. From, from a production standpoint, it's too difficult to do. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah. And I really didn't like doing it at all. Yeah. But, but on the bias works great for a vest. That, like yes. you said, that is the yeah. best place you see on the bias cut. And it tar gives a, a bit of a, a, a differentiation between the kilt and the vest. It doesn't look like it's all a, a jumper that a three-year-old would wear kind of thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, you know what? You know what has tartan on the bias? Billy skirts. Yeah, yeah. You see it on, on women's, that may be that may skirts. be part of my aversion. It's it's, it's I yeah. I think you'd look great in a billy skirt, but whatever. Fishnets, Adam. I was just gonna ask: Has anybody ever done it with just like the apron on the bias? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. A lot easier. Probably just. Weird. It still looks dumb. It's still, yeah, yeah. It's trying Sorry. too hard. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of I'm I'm trying to be different on purpose. Look at me, I'm right. different. Right. So, for all those of you who love tartan kilts on the bias, I apologize. All right, Don't I got help. a question here from Brian Baldwin, and this is a pretty basic one. Um, but I understand where he's coming from. Uh, is there any test you can perform to determine if a horsehair sporn 
is actually made from real horsehair. What should you look for when you're buying one? Can you tell from the picture on the website to make sure you're actually getting real horsehair, a real horsehair spawn versus nylon filament? Nylon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're basically horsehair sporns are made from real horsehair. Um, there's also imitation horsehair sporns that are made from effectively weed whacker cord, nylon monofilament. Um, they're, those are much less expensive. The, the easy way to test it is a burn test. Yeah. Um, take one single strand of hair and, you know, carefully burn the end of it and then blow it out. If it blows out easily, if it turns to ash, and if it smells like burning hair, it's horse hair. Ta-da! If it crackles and balls up into a hard black ball, and it's a little bit tougher to extinguish, and you get black smoke, um, and it smells like burning plastic, then it's monofilament. There you go. Um, the second thing that I would say, uh, a way to just an easy way to tell, what's the price? Is it a $400 sporin, or is it a $150, $200 sporin? If it's in the $150, $200 range, it's probably either not real horsehair or not real well made. Yeah, um, both. <clears throat> the, the pictures you gotta be a little bit careful with because there are some yep. less than reputable companies, shall we say, um, who will just take good quality horsehair pictures and then put it on their website because it looks like that. Therefore, yep. we're gonna use you know, the picture from this spore maker over in Scotland, we're gonna take his photo, steal it, put it on our website, and sell it as the same thing because it's close enough, right? Um, mm. But oftentimes it's not. So the old adage of if it's too good to be true, it probably oh, is. That holds true for the most part with all Highland wear. Yeah, I was gonna say that what you just described about the, the photo piracy, that's true throughout the industry. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, you really gotta, I mean, anybody who shops on Amazon has run into that with anything they buy. You know, it's like, you know, oh, it looked great in the pictures, yep. and turns out you get it, and it's a rumpled mess. And it, but it's especially, especially hard uh, in the Highland wear industry. Yeah. And the utilities industry. Oh yeah. The whole yeah. There's there's oh. lots of there's lots of knockoffs. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, test if you do get one, or if you're inheriting one, or it's a gift or something like that, you've got the thing in your hands. Do the burn test. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Mr. Eric, let's do another oh, one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Mason Andrew Coates asked us when and why did kilt wearers stop buttoning their jackets? I have no idea. Looks I'm not good. sure either. Yeah. Um, um, we were you know, we couldn't find any real rationale um, with the you know letting the the bottom button of the vest undone. We know kind of when that became a thing. Um, in Saxon wear, generally when you're standing, you button your jacket, and then when you go to sit down, you unbutton it to sit down so it doesn't ride up. Um, mm -hmm. For Highland wear, for the most part, you just leave your jacket undone, whether you're wearing a vest or not. Um, so we're not exactly sure yeah, I, when and why. I've seen, it's in some ways, they may have never buttoned their jackets, except like if you're a ghillie, and you're about to go out into the field and you just, you want to keep warm. You know, you button it then, but for most of the time, it's the exception to the rule, is my guess. I mean, yeah. I was trying to scan my memory banks and the one, the one time, the one image that comes to my mind of a guy wearing a kilt with a buttoned coat, I mean, really buttoned, 
is actually uh, King Frederick of Prussia, father of father of Kaiser Wilhelm. And there's a picture of him and little little Wilhelm in Highland dress, but he's got this big coat button 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 buttoned. And other than that, usually I usually yeah. see the jackets open. Yeah. So I don't know when. I really can't say when they started doing that. The only thing I would I would you know, give my little asterisk on this this statement is if it's like a Kenmore or something that is meant dub, to be yeah, a doublet. Yeah, a doublet as opposed or, to a jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But outside of that, don't know. Yeah. So if you figure it out, drop us an yeah. email. By all means. Yeah. Yep. Should I need one more? Sure. Okay. We got all these questions from people. Yeah, we got a lot of great questions, guys. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, <clears throat> Let's see. I'm going to go straight to the one next on my list. Scott McAn McNew. Scott. Uh, saying, uh, my surname has no tartan, but my grandmother's maiden name was McCoy. It was McCoy Sept. Uh, Sept of McKay. Mackay. Um, so could I wear the Mackay tartan? So uh, he says, I guess the real question is, <clears throat> how far can you reach looking for tartan or clan affiliation uh, before it come, becomes irrelevant? How vague of a connection is still a valid connection if you're trying to do the clan thing? Yeah, um, it, really, it's it's your personal comfort level. You know, it's are you? What is your connection to anything in your past? You know, as you as you go from your parents to your grandparents, you go from two to four, then four to eight, then eight to sixteen. So it gets watered down, no pun intended, um, the further you get back. I don't know why that was a pun, it wasn't, sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. But it gets watered down the further back you go in any of your history. Further upstream? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, thank you, you brought it around. Sure, no problem. Um, so it's it's personal preference. In, you know, traditionally speaking, using my finger quotation marks there, um, you would wear your father's tartan, and he would wear his father's tartan, and he would wear his father's tartan yeah. back through the paternal line. That being said, if you're an American mutt and you don't have any Scottish stuff on your father's side, you could wear your mother's tartan. Or if it was six generations back, you could wear that tartan. It doesn't, it really comes down to personal preference and what you want to wear. There's no hard and fast rule of you must wear X tartan or this one is closer to you than another one. Um, if you were, if you're in Scotland, and your dad abandoned you at age two, you're not gonna wear his tartan, you're gonna wear your mom's because mm. you don't like the guy because he abandoned you. So it's it, you. It's really personal preference and it's your story. You're writing your own life story. So you decide what you wanna wear, nobody else. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I will say that is possibly more of an American approach. Um, but you're, but the, basic, the basic line, again, is that, is that uh, patrilineal line and there are some people who I think hardcore traditionalists who say, well, if it's not through your paternal line, you shouldn't wear it at all. You shouldn't wear a tartan. But I don't, what I don't know, and what I'd want to find out if anybody out there knows, or I'll look into it later if people want me to, is what the attitude of the various clan societies is on it. Is there any kind of a rule of thumb that they follow? I doubt they'd be that strict because they're all about trying to boost membership and gain uh, a worldwide network to get people together you know, for the sake of connecting as extended family and enjoying the clan. Um, but it's possible that back in time, just like with heraldic rules and all these other things, that they were more strict about it. But I don't know. I would give one caveat what to what you said is... Please do, because I'm, I'm just kind of <clears throat> no, brainstorming I'd, it, really. I think that 
or I, w I would assume and think and to a degree know that, lesser degree, I'm not Scottish, um, that if there, if you were wearing something, if, if my father was a gun and my mom was a Morrison, and I'm wearing, the, and my dad banded us at a young age, and I'm wearing the Morrison tartan because that's my mom's tartan, it's not that any traditionalist would say, well, you're not supposed to wear that, you're supposed to wear a gun. They just wouldn't ask you. It, well, it would be true. seen as that's rude. That's true, that's true. You whole, wouldn't say to somebody, yeah, yeah, yeah. why are you wearing that? It's, it right. would just be overlooked and like, oh, okay, there's obviously a reason. And they would just leave it at that. But I think that's, that's why I'm curious about how clan societies approach uh, membership. They're very, very loose about it, to okay. best of my knowledge from the clan societies I know, okay. Okay. where it's, you know, if you go to any of the games, they'll have the entire list of Clan Hay. Hi, Verlin. Clan Hay. <laughs> here's all the septs of Clan Hay. You know, come join us. It's right, more of right, a right. they yeah, want a big tent to have kind a big of thing. Tent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I suspect um, that too. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm always curious about the evolution of these things. So. And if you're the the people in the clan societies are obviously very excited about their clan, and if you're wearing a you know. If you have any kind of association to them, they want to bring you in. They they want to hear your story too. It's right. all just a big, right. you know. They're just all excited about this stuff in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even clan societies um, don't. Several of them that I'm you know friendly with members or friendly with you know senior members of clan societies will you know are happy that I wear their tartan, even though I have no association with them. Okay. I'll use Buchanan, Kenny Buchanan and, and uh, his wife are good friends of ours. And they're psyched when I wear the Buchanan weathered tartan or right. the Buchanan tweed tartan. Right. And they, they love it. They mm -hmm. want more people. They, they love their stuff. And it's just advertising for Clan Buchanan okay. to a degree. Yeah, I'll buy that. Um, that may be an American thing. That may be a specifically to them thing. But... I've not run into any circumstances where someone's kilt policed me into you shouldn't be doing that, okay. or you're Good. you're not Good. you're not you know Stuart enough to be wearing the Stuart tartan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that would fall to me under the the kilt police. This is thing. uh yeah it's um this reminds me of the, the the Native American issue that they have now in the tribes with uh, blood quantum and all that. But that and that's a whole hot button issue. But it sounds like we don't have to worry about that from what you're saying. And I, I'm yeah. inclined to agree. I just I always like to. Uh, I always like to find the facts behind and the story behind yeah. the stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is rubber hits the road. Is you follow your heart, you do you know do what feels right. So yeah, you're the one wearing it. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to buy a tartan that you're not going to like. You're not going to feel comfortable with, and it sits in the closet, and you've wasted your money. Yep. Be perfectly practical about it. Lucas, you had a question. Yeah, one question that just came in. Um, Bill was told that an Irish tartan is determined by the county of the mother's heritage. Is that true? No, no rule. Yeah, I didn't think no. I didn't think there was. No rule gotcha. at all. Yep. The Irish County Tartans are County Tartans, period. <clears throat> the Irish County Tartans were designed in 1995. There's not a long hundreds of years steeped in history thing here. They were literally made up based on, you know, a, a designer's affection for particular color schemes or, you know, they wanted, they chose colors to reflect the soft rolling hills of Ireland, blah, blah, blah. There's a marketing shtick that goes with it. It's a pretty good marketing shtick, um, but it is nothing like long historical background to it. None of them, to my knowledge, have been adopted as official by any of the Irish counties. Um, they're just good looking tartans mm -hmm. that 
through wanton usage over the time, over time, the last, you know, 25 years, whatever it is, um, have become, you know, good symbols for Irish yeah. counties. But yeah. there's no, there is no rule of the Irish ones go through the mothers and the Scottish go through the fathers. That's patently untrue. Right. Yeah. So wear it. Yep. And ultimately, I'll say this. The Irish tartans <clears throat> are district tartans. They represent a county, a region. So if you're just fond of that region, you don't have to have lived there or had family that lived there. If you like the area, wear that one. Or if you just like the colors, it's akin to like a universal type tartan where it's not associated with a name, it's associated with a place. Mm -hmm. It's like wearing a shirt that says, I heart New York. A lot classier than an I Heart New York t-shirt. Well, you can't wear that for formal? Bow tie? Utility kilt? Stop. Come Stop. on. Stop. Come on now. <laughs> Don't you tell me what I can do. I'm not responsible for him. Um, you know, this this actually dovetails, and you've essentially already answered the question, but uh, Cyrilus McEwen uh, had said, as many of us of Irish descent are aware, there are few clan slash family tartans Knowing full well that a family could have a tartan designed, would it be acceptable instead for a family to adopt one of the county tartans as its clan tartan, or would that be very bad form? Um, it's like, you know, if you wanted to have a family association with a tartan, could you just use the county tartan, or should you go the whole nine yards and actually uh, design a tartan for your family? And I'm saying family because there is, while you have very strong family associations in Irish culture, um, technically they're not clans in the sense of having the clan system that they do in Scotland. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like, is it okay for me to say that the <coughs> the Wexford County Tartan is the official Tartan of the of my O'Neill family? The, if I want to do that, or something. Uh, um, there's actually an O'Neill Tartan. That's one of the few. Okay, well, that was the first name <laughs> that came, up, came, came to my head. The, um, the you you couldn't because there's no there's no clan leader. There's no you know pope for your family who is going to well, if you're say Catholic, there is a pope for your family. But no, the but there's no there's no family head of the broad family who has the authority to approve anything. Right. For right. it. You're not and, you're not beholden to anyone the way like <clears throat> Scots are beholden to Lord Lyon chief. or the clan yeah. chief or any of the any of that system that's set up. So Correct. And okay. the it's unless you have an email list of all of the people with the name Murphy on it or you know O'Shaughnessy on it, and you have a a democratic vote on will this be the Tartan? Um, then no. And the other thing I would say it's not it's not that it's poor form. Because um, it's not poor form, but you're yeah. basically saying, okay, I'm going to pick this one that already exists, already has a name, already is copyrighted, because they are copyrighted, mm -hmm. from this commercial entity, and I'm going to take that and make it my own. It, it's no, you, I don't know if it's legal to do that. I don't think it's, it's weird. Um, I don't think anybody would stop you because they yeah. just mean they'd be selling more tartan. Fair, <laughs> fair. <laughs> the mill but, is probably not going to have a problem with it. But I don't know how you would claim it as official. Because there would be no way to make it official. The Tartan Register would not let you do it as official because they would yeah. say, you don't have the authority to claim such a thing. Yeah. Um, so I'd say if you want to try and establish an organization, whether it's your friends or your family 
or a branch of your family, like the local, like, you know, the Northampton, Pennsylvania O'Neills, um, then maybe registering a, a tartan you design yourself is actually the smarter way to go. Yeah. If you have the group to support it, because it can be an expensive process to get all those kilts made. Um, but um, it's kind of more fun, too. I would argue that it'd be more more of a creative exercise and very much more of an American thing to do to design your own tartan and claim it and, and build the culture of your group that way rather than just say, eh, let's all, let's all wear Wexford. Wexford. Now, you, no. could, you could also take Wexford um, and tweak it and make it different if the yep. O'Neills were all from Wexford and your entire family line. And we're just playing then, with the names. We're not trying to apply <coughs> anything yeah. about where the O'Neills are from. Um, and you could take Wexford and tweak that design and say, okay, the O'Neills of Wexford, something to that effect. Yeah. Um, but one thing I'll point out is uh, we, we designed a couple tartans recently for some customers. And the tartan register in Scotland has gotten more strict with their rules than they used to oh. be. Um, okay. I, something I've noticed, I'll say. Okay. <clears throat> where we had a, uh, a gent who was a, you know, uh, he had some official title for a particular tract of land in Scotland, although he lived in the U.S. Okay. Um, and he had you know, mountains of documentation on this is, you know, it's handed down to him. He's the next one kind of thing. Okay. And the register gave me a lot of pushback on calling it what he wanted to call it. Um, and they ended up registering it as a personal tartan to him. He wanted to basically create a tartan for the title that he was inheriting. Um, oh, okay. And they would, and okay. that went along with this tract of land. Okay. Um, and they wouldn't let him do it unless he got approval from the town council and, 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 and. Um, and he just said, it's not worth fighting over all that. Just let him register it as a personal tartan. Fine. Um, but they've gotten a lot stricter, possibly in a good way, possibly a little bit overzealous, um, in my opinion, mm -hmm. on those kind of things. I, I will... I think so, I'll come down on their side in this case with that. I think I think they do need to be a little strict about that um, because remember they're looking at it from a heraldic standpoint, and they're looking at it as a tartan. Once you've registered, is a document which is going to stand for time in memoriam. So to for it to be associated with a piece of land, yeah, you'd absolutely want to have the people who were living on that land to be. Yes, okay but he with had. You know what I mean, but he had the title to okay. prove it. Okay. So that's that's where they just kind of. I, I don't know what his title was versus the uh, the uh, order of precedence of, yeah. the, of the Scottish nobility is. It was it was so. it was a month or two ago, so it's okay. not fresh in my memory. Okay, but but, but it gets it gets back to the original <clears throat> point is that um, it's fun, creative, and also easier <laughs> just to come up with your own. Yeah, you know there are millions of tartan millions, maybe millions of tartans out there. No, no, no. Okay, uh, thousands like, of tartans out there. About. Like eight or ten thousand somewhere okay. in there, but yeah. there's plenty of room for more. Yeah, you know, and 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 there's nothing to stop you from from doing it. So, make it your own. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Anything else? Lucas, do you have any more? Uh, one quick question. Sure. sure. Uh, we have here: Can we make kids' kilts in a particular tartan? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think they're on the website. Right? Yep. It was on the yep. Wool kilts will be a little bit more expensive because the cloth is so much more, um, and we have to get it from Scotland versus the PV, which we have here in the shop. Um, but yeah, we can make kilts to fit literally, you know, premature babies up to the, you know, 800 pound man. Yep. So pretty much. Cool. Pretty much. Mr. Eric. Okay. Neil Paget was asking us, uh, in your opinion, 
What has been the biggest faux pas when seeing kilted individuals besides wearing the pleats in the front? What's the biggest faux pas you've ever seen besides, besides the, the, pleats, besides in the, the pleats in the front? Which is kind of often an honest mistake. It, it's a faux pas, but it's also a, a newbie mistake. An ignorant, yeah, yeah. ignorance so. to the to the wearing mistake. Um, I'd have to say wearing it too low. Okay. I would agree with a that. A lot yeah. of Americans, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when we put a kilt on, we'll put it on like at the level of our pants. And if you've been measured by a, a professional kilt maker or a professional kilt company who understands it should be up above the belly button, they'll put it on like their pants and then it'll be below the knee. Um, okay. There's the old adage of, uh, you know, if you wear your kilt above the knee, you are a boy, to the knee, you are a man, below the knee, you are You're a liar. liar. You're a braggart. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, yeah, looking, wearing your kilt too low, in my opinion, looks feminine. Once it gets, meets the top of the kilt hose and you've covered up your entire knee and the little, little ball below, below your knee, if it goes to that or below, it starts to look like a kilted skirt, starts to look feminine in the same way that if you wear it more than top of the kneecap, if you start to wear it, you know, two inches above the knee, Again, it starts to look feminine. I've, over the, you know, 16, 17 years I've been wearing kilts, I've kind of developed an eye for what I like look-wise and kind of what feels right. Mm -hmm. So the the shorter, you know, basically men wear kilts to the knee, women would wear kilts above the knee or below the knee. And when you derivate too much from that... Deviate. Deviate, thank you. Um, the, uh, it, it just looks odd so that's that's my faux pas is wearing okay. a kilt too long higher above the knee won't bother me so much because from a historical perspective i know that guys did wear them above the knee back in the day and even yes quite recently if you're looking especially at the military um below the knee again yeah it's it can look a little weird um i will allow people to do it fashion forward yeah like having a kilt cut longer on purpose as a purposeful fashion statement um, doesn't bother me so much. Now, people wearing it low because of a comfort issue and not wanting to try to adapt to how the kilt is meant to be worn in a traditional way. Uh, we've had pushback occasionally from customers who are like, when we say, well, you wear it at the navel, that's where you're supposed to wear it. And they're like, well, I don't like wearing it up there. I just like it down lower like this. You know, it's more comfortable. That, honestly, that bothers me a little bit. Um, some guys, they, they, they have to. Some guys will wear it lower not realizing, realizing that they're going to have to. Like, they'll come and get measured properly, um, and then they wind up wearing it lower because they've got back issues or they've got a kidney problem or something like that, you know, or, you know, or their belly is male. And then they just wear it lower because they don't... Because nobody's shown them how to do it. Yeah. Um, it's when they... But if they push back on, you know, well, I just want to do it that way, it's like, well, come on, dude, you know, put a little more effort into it so you look, you're going to look better. Um, so that bothers me. Um... But the uh, the length of the, of the kilt in the modern fashion sense is I won't begrudge somebody wearing it lower or higher if they want to, if they don't mind deviating from the masculinity thing. Now, what does bother me from an aesthetic standpoint, which I think is just a matter of actually taking the time to look, is wearing a sporn too low. I so often, and even in professional photography, of kilts where it's a model and you see the sporn and it's hanging down like close to the guy's knees and it's like that that bothers me it's like not learning where to have the sporn hanging yeah. properly yeah. um bothers me a bit yeah it's there's it's 
you when you look sloppy, you don't do yourself a service. You do it. yourself a disservice. I guess that's it. And I'll I'll take yours and I'll kind of come around a little bit with it. Your first one, um, when you wear the kilt, if you're a bigger guy and you wear the kilt below your belly, it's what ends up happening is your belly pushes the front of the kilt down and the back of the kilt will ride up. So it ends up kind of underlining the belly and it looks a little bit sloppier. If you're wearing it around the widest part of your belly, it kind of holds you in and visually it goes straight down from the widest part of you and it doesn't underline and accentuate the belly. Right. So it, it's a much more flattering appearance. And then when you bring in the sporin, it's the same kind of thing where wearing the sporin up a little bit higher or hooking the sporin chain over the sides of the buckles on the top of the kilt um, so that it doesn't underline the belly. It is a much more flattering appearance on a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it, what it what, what grinds my gears, um, to quote uh, Peter, right. the, uh, what really grinds my gears about it is kilts can make anybody look good. Bigger guys, yeah. skinny guys, doesn't yeah. matter. You yeah. can look good in a kilt. It's a very, very flattering garment. And then when you buy a nice expensive wool kilt and then wear it down low and their belly's hanging out, it looks, I don't know. I think It yeah, goes against the grain. It's not so much that it's, it's a faux, I don't think that faux pas bother me so much as um, if people make an investment in some of this stuff and then they don't put in the effort. And that's fair. I don't mean that to sound harsh. I'm 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 basically saying, no matter what you're wearing, if you want to look good and you want to look dignified and you want to earn respect from people because you look on point, then you owe it to yourself to spend some time, that little extra time, looking at yourself in the mirror in the morning, to make sure things are looking together. Now I'm a clothes horse. I'm I'm very much into clothes, so I'm biased in this sense. Um, but I'd rather little faux pas are forgivable. But looking like you just didn't care, yeah. If you're gonna, me. if you're gonna spend not, the money, yeah, and you're gonna go ninety percent of the way there, just pop in front of a mirror, fix the tie, hold the kilt up, you know, move the sporn so that it hangs nice and flat. Done. Yeah, and I think I think that's what it get, what, what gets back to me from a heritage standpoint is that um, when I see people who are, who look sloppy, in my experience, a lot of time those are the same people who kind of treat this as more of a toy, and and they don't take it. Fair. seriously in terms of being a sincere student of the culture. Yeah. You know, I mean, the people who really care about their heritage or care about presenting the culture um, or even just the garment itself well tend to t- take a little more time to st- make er- make sure everything's straight. Um, yeah. If you have to make accommodations because of your body shape, fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, there are... they're, they're, you're a human being. Things happen. You got to deal with it. But um, I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit. Forgive me. Um, if you're wearing it casually... Fine. Don't worry about yeah. it. None of these faux pas matter if you're just wearing it to go hiking Absolutely. or going out to a bar on a Tuesday yeah. night. If you're wearing a utility kilt, they make a beer gut cut specifically which for is guys very, which to is wear very it smart. Lower. But yeah, and it's like, and we will, uh, custom kilts will accommodate you if it's a beer gut issue. We will try and help you because it's a custom made garment. Um, so I guess that's it. It's not that, it's not little faux pas. It's um, if you either intentionally or by accident project the, a lack of respect. Yeah. That's what bothers me. Yeah. I'll give so. it that. That's my soapbox. Get yeah. down off my soapbox. We're now yeah. off. Yep. Okay. Wash day. Zen. Zen. Have some scotch. Uh, sure. Well, it's only the McClellan's left. Uh, so, yeah, I forgot. Where's that <laughs> bottle? All right. Yeah. We'll do two more. Okay. Do we have any from the audience, Mr. Lucas? Nothing. All right. We lost them all. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> we had plenty. 
Okay, here's a practical. Here's a practical question. John Davis is asking us, um, how do you pin on a fly plate so that it stays put? Brooch pins always seem to be as thick as nails and have done some minor damage to my jacket. Um, also, it always seems to migrate outwards towards the far edge of the epaulette it is under. Thoughts, please. Okay. Cry for help. Uh, damage to the jacket. Thick as nails, damaging jacket. Jacket. I'm concerned that, that what's happening is he's actually pinning it to the jacket. Yeah. Um, uh, John, if, if that's not if that's not the case, John, then correct me. No, I think but, that's what he's. And that's okay. it's exactly what he's getting at. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when you're wearing a fly plate, the fly plate is the cape-looking thing that goes over your left shoulder. It's only really worn when you're wearing something very, very formal. Prince Charlie, you know, formal affair. You do not have to wear it to be formal, but it is only really worn when you are dressing up formally. Um, the plate brooch attaches, you know, right at the shoulder, um, or just below the shoulder, I should say, right in the kind of the hollow, the top of your pectoral muscle. It does, the plate brooch attaches to the fly plate. It should not go through the jacket. Um, right. Fly plates are great for pictures and horrible for everything else. So <laughs> the, or horrible for everything else. Right. Um, it's not a very practical thing. You're literally just taking, you know, 80% of the cloth hangs down the back, 20% hangs down the front. So no matter what you do, it's gonna kinda pull at the lapel of the jacket as you're walking around, since your shoulders kinda slope down it to the outside, it's gonna probably pull down and slope to the outside. Um, there are some tricks to kind of get it to kinda stay put. Um, the best trick I could give you is um, on the underside, on the back of the jacket, and maybe underside on the front of the jacket as well, use some safety pins, some smaller safety pins, and kind of tuck it through there to hold it in place. But it's it's not a very functional thing to wear. Mm -hmm. As I said, it looks great in photos. It's great for your wedding photos and that kind of thing, but it is not, if you're going out dancing, leave the fly plate on the chair. Yeah, so yeah, and the, the safety pin thing we often recommend, uh, even just very temporarily, just for, say, a wedding, because that's the most common contact we run into this, um, during the ceremony and during the photo shoot. Um, so you're not damaging the, the jacket, you're not leaving them in there permanently or anything like that. Um, the brooch itself doesn't attach to the jacket, it is just a counterweight and a catch. So when it rides up, it catches on the epaulette by design so that the thing doesn't fall off your shoulder. Um, so yeah, don't, don't damage your jacket, it's not worth it. Um, yeah. and enjoy the brooch temporarily and then take the thing off, you know, drape it on the mantelpiece or something, you know, put the fly plate up there and put the brooch on the mantelpiece or something. But... Make a little pretty diorama. Yeah. I mean, you want to be Celtic Superman. Fly plays look awesome. They are incredibly dashing, but, uh, but they are not meant for anything more than a highly ceremonial occasion. Yep. You know. I agree. Yeah. Cool. cool. We'll do one more. One more. All yep. right. Let's do something a little different here. Ooh. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Let's see what I got. Um... And for everybody who submitted questions, don't worry, they won't go to waste. We keep the questions. Yeah, we don't throw anything so away. Next month when we do this, we have some fodder for next month as well as answering the live questions. Yep. Um, okay, Martin McGrath asked us, what are some of the traditions behind solid color he says solid color tartans. I think he means solid color tilt kilts. Sure. Yeah. Um, you could solid include color shadow kilts. tartans in that, I suppose. But yeah, 
well, they're not really traditional. Yeah. Um, solid color kilts, whether it's tweed or, you know, solid color wool, you know, the worst of wool kind of cloth, um, go back a couple hundred years at least mm -hmm. to the McClay prints. John Brown, I think you said? Yeah. Um, the McClay yeah. print of John Brown. M M A C L E A Y, I believe is how you spell McClay. Look those up. There's some really, really cool, you know, 1800s, 1700s. No, no, 18, no, 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 1800s. 1800s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 1800s uh, paintings of a bunch of different Scottish people, and yeah. they, he kind of hit uh, the, most of the major clans. Um, John Brown's photo has him in a grayish-blue kind of tweed jacket, vest, and kilt. And yeah. Day played as well or no? I think he's got a day played draped over his <clears throat> arm or something. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, so but, wearing solid color or tweed kilts has some historical precedent. Mm -hmm. um, in today's, you know, you know, time, whatever. Um, 21st century kilts does some solid color tweed kilts. There's utility kilts that are solid color fabrics. Back at the turn of the you know, 19th century was the Irish, you know, rebellion, St. Edna right. School. Um, they had some solid, solid color kilts. Yeah. So there is tradition, using my finger quotes loosely, there's a lot of finger quotes today. Um, <laughs> there are some loose traditions based around Salad color kilts, but no more than the regular kilt itself. Yeah, they're they're uh, tartan kilts. Uh, they're they're groups and units and and such that will use a solid color kilt as opposed to a tartan. Um, London Scottish, hodden gray. Ex exactly, yep. exactly. Okay. Hodden gray is is uh, the best example, perhaps. Um, and uh, of course, as Rocky alluded, the Irish went for solid colored kilts at first. Uh, during the, the rise of the, uh, the Gaelic League and the, uh, the nationalists around the turn of the century. Um, and uh, they continue that, you know, the saffron kilt being the most famous. The, uh, other than that, it is a fashion choice, and uh, you play with it in that sense. You know, a tweed kilt or a solid color kilt is, uh, can be a nice alternative. We have customers who will do a tweed kilt or something in a solid color or a shadow tartan um, as an alternative kilt or a more casual look kilt. Um, it's a nice way to show off accessories um, because you have basically a blank canvas. So if you have a really cool looking sporin um, or kilt pin and such, uh, it's nice to, to show those point. kind of things off, uh, more of a contemporary look. But um, in terms of other symbolism, um, there really isn't any. It's, it's basically just an option. Yeah, outside of the Irish thing with saffron and salad color green, there wasn't a whole lot of symbolism in no. solid color. And I think, and I think uh, for someone, I've, I have other pictures of uh, Victorian gentlemen in tweed kilts um, as a something you'd wear um, out in the country estate. You know, like when you're yeah. going to the hunting estate, it was very appropriate because you're just out there kind of hanging out. You know, it's very informal. And of course, Victorian informal is a lot more formal <laughs> than modern informal. Yeah. Um, but it was considered more naturalistic. And I think that's why John Brown is pictured in one in his portrait. Okay. Um, because uh, he's not representing a clan there. He's representing the fact that he was um, the ultimate gilly. He was the ultimate outdoors, you know, manager kind of guy. I'd be curious if uh, there's any estate tweeds. Um, estate tweeds meaning tweeds for a particular... Is that there's, worn as kilts? I, yeah. I'd be willing to bet there are. They're kind of like yeah. district... Estate tweeds are kind of like district tartans. Certain estates or, you know, areas of land in Scotland may have their own tweed just for themselves. So I'm thinking if if I was a estate owner or, you know, some higher up in the estate, you know, the head butler or whatever, um, I don't know, the would I want to wear a kilt but in the estate tweed 
as something to know. represent the estate. Um, could that be what John Brown was doing? I could see in his, he's a rare case. He's a kind of a unique individual, so yeah. maybe, yeah. Um, in terms of a typical Victorian Edwardian household, I'm not sure you would do that with not staff. Not typical, but I'm thinking like, I could if see, there's I could any see other historical I could see, I could see, I could see a, a, a lord or a laird um, member of a household doing that for fun. Yeah. I don't know. I gotta look into that. Well, but the clothes weren't—they didn't have as many clothes. It wasn't as a fun thing. Like mm, clothes yeah, clothes like we lots are. of clothes if you had that money to have okay, a that's hunting fair, estate. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay. Never mind. I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. But it's an interesting question. So. I failed. Man, I failed we were sir. geeky today. Yeah, we didn't get kind of totally geeky. mega nerdy this time. But again, I blame the Scotch. Star Trek forever. <laughs> Oh wait, that's wrong. Uh, yeah, may, uh, the, may the force be with you. <laughs> uh, we should be shot. All right. All right. Very good. All right, boys and girls. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you for all the questions. For those of you who are on Facebook, check out Kilts and Culture Group. Um, come join us. The water's fine. Yep. And for everybody else, we will see you next month. We do these Q and A's first Friday of every month. Until next time. Slanjava. Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.